Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey. Hey, you're welcome. We have such films to show you with the podcast. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, this is episode 31. I am uh, Josh Millard. Uh, and I'm Yakov. And uh, we're uh, we're talking about Scream. We're talking about Scream. This, uh, this yeah, fortnight. 1981 Scream, directed by Byron Quisenberry and starring Pepper Martin as Bob. Uh, a group of friends on a rafting trip down a river stop in an old ghost town. What, what did you think of the ghost town, Josh? I thought it was pretty ghosty. Yeah, I thought it was townful. I was worried because yeah. I thought you were going to watch the 1996 film. And then we'd have a big cock up, but uh, I'm glad we're on the same page. Is it really an 81 film called Scream? There is, and it is in fact directed by a dude named Brian Quisenberry and starring Pepper Martin. See, everything you said sounded just ridiculous enough that I was willing to believe that you were, you know, pulling this from whole cloth. That's, uh, wow. Yes, no, we're talking, of course, about 1996's uh, landmark uh, horror uh, meta film Scream. Wes Craven directing a bunch of people who... I gotta say, this is the, the thing that surprised me most rewatching this film. Just sort of jump into uh, initial impressions because mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed watching the film again. And I don't think I've seen it since like sometime in the late nineties. I think I saw it once, maybe twice originally. I may have just seen it once and then seen like the the sequel as well. Um, so it, it was kind of great going back and watching it again and watching it, remembering some of the major plot developments that I did because I was like, this was the second viewer. Like, oh, okay, so technically that's true. Oh, okay, I see. Well, it wasn't him because it was the other guy. You know, I kind of wish I'd done that though in like 1997 or 1998 when I wouldn't have been so distracted by, oh my God, how mid-90s this movie is. It, it's, I it's, mean... It's incredibly dated. It's, it's just like profoundly... Yeah. Opens up, zoom in on Drew Barrymore's face with the burgundy lipstick and and the black lip liner, and it's you know exactly what year this was made. It was it it's just mm, so so in its in its uh, milieu there. The major the major prominence of mm-hmm. cell phones during their terrible larval. This is too big, and also cell phones are still kind of novel thing. <laughs> Just at the center of several scenes in the movie. Why would a teenager need a cell phone? Asks the Pons. Yep. Um, yeah, and the uh, the clothes, the the wonderful clothes. Not so much on um, the hell's her name, Sydney. Uh, Dev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Yeah, Nev Campbell. They. You know what? What it, what it reminded me of, even though it came before, uh, the way the lead actress was dressed in House of the Devil. Where it was not, um, it, it was very kind of plain, I guess. Yeah. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, con- it, it, it contrasted pretty well to the way a lot of the other people were dressed, especially um, Rose McGowan uh, as uh, Tatum. These names are going to kill me. <laughs> I, these Casey, Sydney, Tatum, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, these these names are going to kill me. I'm, I'm probably going to be referring to everybody by their names as actors. That's right. I mostly call Skeet Skeet, so... <laughs> Skeet fucking Elbridge. <laughs> <laughs> I had hair like that around then, which is the funny part. I Maybe maybe like two or three years later, I, I had Skeet Elbridge hair. Well, I was, I was sort of think of Skeet Ulrich as who you get when you can't get Johnny Depp from that period where Skeet Ulrich was tough. Because he's got sort of like a Johnny Depp-ish look, but at a much uh, lower scale, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if this movie would have actually been better had Johnny Depp been in it or not, though. I mean, Skeet Ulrich, I, I, I can't think of anything I, where I I'd be like, man, Johnny Skeet Ulrich Depp gave a was, great... 
I, I think if Johnny Depp was in it, the, you'd have like the Law and Order guest star problem, where if there's somebody that you know from not Law and Order on Law and Order, they did it. True. And, and I think True. it would be one of those things where where the ending, spoiler alert, um, it w- would be too obvious. Even though, because this is the second time I watched it, the first time I, I you know, I've seen parts of it, but like the first time I seriously sat down and watched it was like about a year and a half ago, maybe when it came up on Netflix. Um, and I had no, you know, I could not remember what the ending was. Like somebody had told me the ending to to this one and like two other ones, and also to Scary Movie in the same conversation. So I'm just like, it's one of those endings, but I don't remember any of them too well. Um, and I was just like, oh wow, that's you know, I you know, I was just like, okay, it's the it's the two dudes ending. All right, but it was still kind of surprising rewatching it. It. Like, the red herrings are just so obvious, and like, you know, he, uh, what's his name? I keep wanting to call him Jordan Catalano. Uh, Billy Loomis is so obviously has been doing most of it. Like, Stu, they, you know, it's a, Stu is, you know, more surprising, but just like, you know, you think, on rewatching it, it's just so obvious that, that he might as well just be, like, saying, I don't drink wine kind of things uh, that that would give them away even quicker um, yeah what did, what did, what did you think of that I uh, yeah I, I I remembered clearly that it the big twist was that it turned out to be Billy and Stu together uh, skeet mm-hmm. and Matthew Lillard uh, and so I watched the whole movie very much saying okay I'm gonna I bet what happens here is every single thing that they say that seems like it a lie turns out to be the truth because what it is is it's Matthew and Skeet both taking turns killing people. And as far as I can tell, it tracks. Like every time, uh, basically, that Skeet says, I swear to God, you know, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. I didn't do it on things. He's telling the truth because it was Matthew uh, and, you know, vice versa. So they, they it was it was cleverly plotted out that way, you know, to where it keeps itself actually consistent as far as I can tell in that back and forth, which is fun. And you could have, in theory, have made that detective leap on the first watch put two and two together and said, oh, that's what's going on. Um, I feel like I, I – I thought I remembered Jamie Kennedy having a bigger role in it. I think maybe he just yeah. is more central in maybe the second one or the later ones. He's definitely in the second one. Um, he's what – you know, at the – He's one of like the, the there's there, there's four characters that come back: Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, um, David Arquette, and uh, Jamie Kennedy. So he he has a bigger part in uh, the second one. I remember about the third one, and I have not seen the fourth one. Yeah. So another thing I want to say about it, like talking about it being dated, you know, the, the soundtrack is very mid nineties. The uh, the the props, the costume are all very mid nineties. Uh, the, the cell phone stuff, you know, the, the whole feel is there. And it doesn't feel like it's there as an intentional thing. It just feels like it's there as a setting this in the present and working a little bit with, like, the cutting edge of culture, partly in service of making it seem like a smarter horror movie. I mean, that's that's part of the thing. The, the movie is very self-aware, uh, but it's very self-aware in a way that didn't age super well is the funny thing. Because if you yeah. like the use of the cell phone stuff, for example, is very much... Uh, you know, saying okay, but let's 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 address some of the problems with horror movies classically. And as cell phones became a thing, it became dumber and dumber to have specific kinds of plots that were phone related in yeah. horror movies. Because like, well, yeah, but get a fucking cell phone. So at this point, the movie's saying, ah, but we thought about that, and cell phones would be central to our plot, which is great, except for mm. they all look so super ridiculous. And anyway, yeah. <laughs> so there's all that stuff. But but the other thing that dates this movie like more than I would have guessed is mm-hmm. just the cast. Like, the casting of this movie is 
people who were on TV in the early and mid nineties yep. are the people in this movie. And it's, it's, so it's, it's, you've got the Nev Campbell party of five thing. Uh, Courtney Cox was on friends. Wait, Nev Campbell was on party of five. Wasn't she? Am I thinking Wasn't of the that wrong Jennifer one? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Am I thinking of the I wrong one? I can't Maybe tell the them. difference between Nev Campbell and Jennifer Love Hewitt. So you, you're, you, you are so weird with that, that, uh, that, uh, that whole thing, that that face blindness thing you have. Yeah, no, she was totally on Party of the Five. I think her uh, and Jennifer Love Hewitt is a thing. Uh, let, me, okay. let me look into this a little bit closer. And also Jack from Lost, of course. Uh, let's assume they're all in the same universe. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt was Sarah Reeves. And Nev Campbell Nev was Campbell. Julia Salinger. Okay. Oh, I didn't know they were the Salinger kids. That somehow makes it all worse. So yes, they were, it turns out Party of Five is an adaptation of Franny and Zoe somehow. Yeah. Well, and and, and I mean, let's run with this TV t- TV teen soaps to horror movies. You have <laughs> Nev Campbell shows up in this. You have Jennifer Love Hewitt ends up in I Know What You Did Last Summer. You've got uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, in Same. I think I think the two yeah. of them were mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So it's like there's this whole exodus from from teen drama TV to to you know, self-aware horror in the, you know, mid nineties, uh, that this is very much a piece of, but then, yeah. And you had, you had Drew Barrymore as the basic the teaser on this. I want to, uh, do you remember the marketing for this film? Cause I feel Are like, you, cause you're trying to remember if she was top build or not. Yeah. I, I feel like they sort of may have been smart enough to sort of do it as a fake out with Drew Barrymore yeah. as an apparent star. And then they kill her off. And that was all big. Like, Oh my God, I thought she was going to be the main character. And yeah. Which yeah, one? she. Um, it, I mean, a cursory googling tells me she got top billing, and I mean, part of it. I mean, the argument could could be made that she was the biggest star in this movie. Nobody else's career had taken off like to the extent that hers had at this point. Well, yeah, which is I think is fair. I mean, she's. Yeah, but it could also be like a. Um, you know, an allusion to what they did with uh, Psycho, where, you know, Janet Leigh gets top billing and she's killed off like halfway into the movie. Yeah. I uh, hope everybody's seen Psycho. Um, Skeet Ulrich then, has. Yeah, he has. Uh, <laughs> and he makes sure you know that. Yeah, God, I, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it. I... I that can't be, you know, like, couldn't have, couldn't have not been on their minds to just fake it out like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because, I mean, she's totally, like, you know, she's totally set up as, as the last girl and then just immediately murdered. Yep. Immediately and very, very clearly. Like, yeah, you, like, no, there, there's, no, there's no, no mistake. Question. She's not coming back. She yeah. She was hanging gutted from a tree. Uh, Which was uh, just really, you know, a really good... Um, set design there just like the the shot of her hanging and like the extreme zoom in and that's what starts the movie yeah the tiny flash I, and then yeah nev campbell yeah. looking out the window as if towards that cut yeah what's uh, what's really what i really like about this movie is that you know it's it's self-aware in, in all those ways but at the same time you know it's a really good horror movie made by a guy who really knows what he's doing yeah you know i i, I want to say the thing I, I i feel like this is one where i'm gonna just have to disclaim up front I liked this movie. I liked seeing it again. I think it's smart. I think it's well directed. Uh, I think the acting's, you know, at the very least fine. The writing's mm-hmm. fun. Um, I have a million things to complain about, and most of them are not really substantial. They just were things that really caught me out. And part of it is, part of it is all this sort of dated. Oh my god, it's 1996 again. Feeling, you know, and I, I really am surprised by how distracting that was watching the movie. Yeah. 
Um, but I also, I kind of don't like a bunch of the people in the cast all that much, uh, which is not really super fair to the movie because it's not like they were bad. I just, you know, like David Arquette, I, I, I have, I've never capitalized stuff that I typed <laughs> in my notes as much as I typed as I have just complaining about David Arquette being on the fucking screen in this movie. And I'm sure David Arquette is a very nice guy and he seems like he's capable of doing funny acting too. I can't remember specifically having seen something I liked, but you know, I'm, I, I don't think he's a fundamentally bad person or anything, but I didn't enjoy him in this except for like maybe one or two good lines. And the rest of the time I'm yeah. like, fucking Christ, get this David Arquette, Courtney Cox thing off I, my TV. I don't like them. I don't like either character. the reason the characters like that. Really? The character was originally, from what I from what I read, the character was originally just like a straight, like, you know, a done straight, hunky male role for like, you know, a hot guy. And then David Arquette got it. And then that's what, what, what we got at the end was huh. Dewey. Huh. Well, who, uh, yeah. You know who he reminded me of? Uh, what, what is the name of the, uh, the, the, the goofy, uh, cop in Twin Peaks, Andy? Yeah. Yeah, he reminded me of Andy a little bit. I would have liked um, Andy better, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Because Andy Andy was just like weird and poorly socialized. David Arquette was just like the aw shucks nerd who makes good things. Like, that's the thing. I I didn't like Courtney Cox's character. Whatever redemptive qualities she had as someone who was ultimately right and trying to do their job even if they were all sort of sleazy and exploitative about it with the book and blah 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 blah. That really didn't come through for me in the movie. So she just comes off as this annoying exploitative character. David Arquette comes off as this annoying guy who she's flirting with. uh, And it's fake flirting and then it's real flirting. And it's like, I I don't like any of it. I don't like any of it all, these are the characters who I want to see get killed off sometime in late in the first act. You know, not be triumphant, you know, heroes at the end. Because, like, blah, I just, ugh. I feel like you could cut maybe, like, half of the David Arquette, Courtney Cox footage, and you'll have a better paced movie. Yeah. But, although the one thing was entertaining to watch is that knowing that they actually, you know, this is where they met and... Eventually, they got married. I know, and it's so uh, it's, that it makes, it makes it worse for me. It makes it worse <laughs> for me because to know that they came out of that and said, "You know what would be good follow to this? Let's get married. Let's do this full time. Let's let's." Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have a bad attitude, and uh, I'll try and I'll try and not let, let that distract me too much. But that was definitely a recurring thing for me. It's like I I don't like these two characters interacting. I don't like these two characters independently. Uh, I thought Nev Campbell was kind of whiny. Uh, I find Matthew Lillard tiring. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich is, I don't particularly, basically, yeah, there's a real cast problem here for me. I yeah. think, I think it may be actually just the fact that I didn't like much of the TV that mm-hmm. a lot of these people were on. I, uh, I was sick of Matthew Lillard by this early point in his career. Was uh, Hacker, was Hacker yes. as the exact same character. Um, right. Except for without the murdering, apparently. Uh, he was in SLC Punk, which I never saw. Um, As roughly the same character. I from- yeah, I, one of my notes is that I would like to see a supercut of just all of Matthew Lillard's nonverbal flailing in movies he's been in. Because I feel like you'd get like a couple hours out of it. <laughs> and it'd just be him going, blah, 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 making you know hand gestures and bugging his eyes and sticking his tongue out and grinning like an idiot. What should, I, I'm, I've, I've been watching uh, The Bridge recently, uh, I think FX. Uh, it's a sort of cop procedural mystery thing 
uh, about a couple of cops on either side of the U.S.-Mexican border trying to solve a series of murders and, and so on. And Matthew Lillard's got a role in it as a super sleazebag alcoholic uh, reporter. And I'm actually liking him in it. It's, it. It feels like taking some of that weird manic stuff but toning it the fuck down. Kind of like when Jim Carrey started trying to do serious movies and started being a guy who had some funny moments rather than a guy who won't fucking stop moving. You know, it's that weird sort of transition across the the drama barrier. That's yeah, really I feel like, okay. Yeah, I feel like that, that's. I mean, that's good because I've always felt like Matthew Lillard was trying to be like a, um, you know, trying to do what Jim Carrey did, just being like roughly or looking roughly a generation younger. Yeah. Because um, or or no, you know what? No, they they got to be roughly the same age, don't they? I mean, it's, it, for some reason, Matthew Lillard always felt like he skewed younger than Jim Carrey, and then as far as like the age of his characters. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Matthew Lillard like he keeps going from funny, and then he just overextends himself, and it's just like, all right, come on, let's yeah. let's keep this rolling. Oh, and Jamie Kennedy, I can't fucking stand Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. If, there may not have actually been anyone in this movie that I liked. That could be a that could be a big problem. In what about Rose McGowan. I actually like her. her. Okay, she didn't get a whole lot to do in the movie, and the death was done. Yeah. But I had forgotten about that. That was one thing that I I remembered. She wandered off and died, but I forgot about the fucking cat door or dog door in the garage, yeah. which I think I remember actively upsetting me at the time because yeah, no, unless you were going to set it up that someone has specifically rigged this guitar the, this guitar door opener, you know, for your guitars, this garage door opener to to not have the basic, you know fail safes that every fucking garage door opener has it's not going to pull that off it's going to be oh there's an obstruction and stop you know and i realize you're going for a murder but you got to set that up because it's like that's even something that like anybody who's ever had a garage door opener is going to know you know it's a basic sort of oh huh question you ask yourself the first time you encounter the concept of a garage door you know it might kill a cat if you're not careful but it's not going to lift a human being and break their neck uh, what if you disable that part of the thing? Maybe, but even then, I kind of doubt it. I, I, I mean, they, they aren't. Uh, yeah, they aren't. They aren't. They aren't super powerful motors either. They don't need to be. And so you know. Yeah. I mean, to, anyway. to be fair, like you know, my bloody Valentine deaths were. It's roughly the same caliber as believability. Well, yeah, just, but let's look at yeah. the difference between the two films because my right. bloody Valentine was a slasher film of its era. This is a film that yeah. is being very much like, you know, smart and clever about being genre savvy about the whole history of slasher. So it's, that's part of why it felt kind of dumb. It's like, really? I mean, you're trying so hard to like do clever, unusual things and whatnot. And then I feel like it was just like someone came up with it as a, a good sort of funny, quirky murder and just decided, nah, let's just run with it. Um, and who knows, maybe there was even a brief tampering with a garage door motor scene that got cut for, for time or something. Oh, I got the Blu-ray. I should have checked if there was deleted scenes on it. I actually, I wanted to ask you about that, speaking of running time. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I found a version in a place, and uh, it was an hour and 49 minutes. And I didn't notice any big scenes or anything missing that I remember before, but I do feel like the, the garage scene uh, with Rose McGowan, where she ends up getting killed, uh, did feel like it had been slightly edited. And I wanted to track um, with you... On that. So, okay, so the garage door's going up, she's about to get crushed, then what happens? Cut away, and like shot from the inside of her limp body, I think. 
So do you? So you did not get the shot of like it crushing her head slightly. Right. right. It's like a split second shot. There's no. You don't really see any gore. It's just like a skull getting kind of mangled. Yeah, I feel like that was um, not in the cut I watched. And wait, how long was your cut? You said an hour and forty nine minutes was the running time. So it's a hundred and nine minutes. Okay, the one that I watched is so it's a, there's a two minute difference. Yeah. Um. I feel like they may have done some some small cuts. This may have been a slightly more friendly version of it. Uh, and, well, and slightly earlier in that scene too, it's weird. Like, because uh, yeah, I think they I think they just which doesn't make sense because there was plenty of blood later in the film. But mm-hmm. but when she's in the garage and she's being confronted by the mass killer and she starts to realize when he pulls out the knife that this is not someone just being dorky, uh, he like slashes her in the arm, right? And and she backs yeah. Of course, he slashes her in the arm. Oh, the, hey, the actual on. arm slash was not there either. I found a list of cuts that might have been it. Um, when uh, did you see Steve's guts pouring out at the beginning? No. no. Okay. Did you? Um, let me see. So we talked about the uh, so Casey hanging the tree was time compressed. So the one that I saw was how fast was the one that you saw? It was real fast. It was like okay because the one that I saw was it wasn't like. Like, it wasn't noticeably fast. It was quick, but not that fast. Yeah, th- th- this um, felt like a real sort of aggressive, yeah. flashy cut. Right. Uh, after Kenny, the cameraman's throat is cut, he stares at the blood on his hand after touching his neck and then looks up at the killer. Did he do that? Uh, it might have happened. I mean, you uh, saw yeah. his neck cut. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. conspicuously non-gory or anything. Billy clearly loses control as he delivers his final cuts to Stuart. I don't know what that means. Uh, he was stabbing Stu, and Stu was like, oh, man, not so deep, man. Ow, motherfucker. Um, so maybe uh, uh, that may not have been there either. Yeah, these cuts are not really as obvious. Yeah, they're not. It, yeah, it's not like the, <laughs> the cut version of My Bloody Valentine that I saw where every, <laughs> you know, death was basically completely elided. Uh, but yeah, that, that actually reassures me, too, because I, I felt like there was a little bit more craziness in that interaction between Stu and and Billy at the end with the cutting each other than was actually what I saw last night. So, yeah, yeah so whatever these cuts I are, I must have seen this. Yeah. Uh, d- does it say what the cut is? Was it just a... Um, no, it looks like there's a bunch of uh, different cuts. So, and that, yeah, that was okay. the only one that I saw that listed it, and it's explicitly listed the uh, the head getting crushed thing. So. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it's if you cut... Uh, so this says there's 20 seconds of restored footage. So, I mean, other than that, it, there's, um, it's like a minute and a half. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that, it's, yes, yeah, so it's because it's, a, what is it? It's two minute difference, apparently. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's not substantial enough that you would, uh, very, very clearly notice it. Well, yeah, and I would say it, it was conspicuous to me in a couple spots that had me wondering, specifically mm-hmm. with that garage scene was the thing that jumped out yeah. to me. But uh, everything else seemed at least subtle. The, the, yeah. the thing where they cut her actually being slashed by the knife in the garage before the mm-hmm. head crushing bit, uh, it was a weird cut. It was just like, mm-hmm. it really felt like, you know, someone dropped a second of footage. Someone dropped right. you know, one shot somehow. And that's what got me starting to wonder about it. But but a lot of that other stuff, it didn't jump out at me. So the the cut was at least reasonably deftly done for the most part. Uh, right. But yeah, and it doesn't really change. It doesn't change the thrust of the movie. I mean, I feel like the movie is more about the meta commentary in the movie than it is about specific, you know, death effects or... or, or yeah, or yeah, flight, it's so. not... Yeah, it's not really the... It, it's definitely a lot more just about mood and about, like, what it's about rather than... Yeah. 
the the murders themselves, which are, you know, mostly they're not the the other ones. They're really not that inventive. Like this was like the creative one. The rest of them are just different sorts of stabbings. Yeah, you know, stab in the chest, stab in the back, slash the throat. Um, yeah, the and then oh yeah, yeah the the guts. Uh, and then I, I don't know what the hell they did to Drew Barrymore, but. Um, Oh no no! They, that's right. She died after he got stabbed. And by the time they finished, he finished dragging her. He should they should have been dead, just from uh, blood loss. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I should have thought more carefully about my sourcing if I wanted to be sure not to yeah. end up with a slightly weird cut. But in any case, uh, the opening of this movie was really solid. It was really smart yep. at the time. At the time, I mean, it's it, it's it's a thing where I kind of want to give it credit for when it was made because it really, you know, at this point I can compare this movie to uh, Cabin in the Woods, you know, on the same terms of they're both horror movies made by uh, horror fans who are good directors who really get the genre and are playing with it actively. And, and I feel like Cabin in the Woods did a much more subtle job of it, but Cabin in the Woods had the advantage of being made like 15, 18 years later. Yeah. Uh, whereas Scream is a lot more blunt in a lot of it, but it's still that sort of like silly, joyful referencism throughout the whole thing. I mean, there's so many, so many horror movie references, stuff that I got, stuff that I knew there was something I wasn't getting just cause like I, they're naming films that I haven't seen, etc. Um, but it really is, it, it, it is, it's trying to be, you know, sort of a, a clever, funny, loving horror movie about horror movies. And it really does work. And like you said, it also makes for just a decent horror movie, even if you happen yeah. to not buy into any of that, probably. Which would be, you know, which would, if, if you don't, this movie would be really annoying. I feel like every time they make, like, an explicit movie reference, I feel like if you're not sort of enjoying that in some way, it probably got really <laughs> annoying for you. Yep. I mean, some of it was subtle. I mean, in the opening, yeah. uh, Drew Barrymore's answering the phone, and it's the initial flirty conversation. And so, the the guy is asking her, you know, what her favorite horror movie is, and and she says Halloween as she's toying with a butcher knife, uh, which I just thought was a nice sort of yeah. visual joke. Yeah, and there's a lot of little stuff like that that's not, you know, oh, you know what I like about that butcher knife thing? It makes the like. Fwing! like unsheathing a sword sound when she takes it out of the butcher's block. Do you think they make butcher's blocks like that? I don't just know. have something in the inside that would make that noise every Somebody time you take should. a knife out? Somebody should. I bet, I bet generally speaking they mm-hmm. don't, but I, I hope that Even is. if it's just like a tiny little motion sensor and a little speaker that yeah, plays the noise? Exactly, a little piezo speaker that yeah. just triggers. and That'd be fantastic. <laughs> and it could measure the speed of movement of the knife and, and choose the appropriate one. So if you do it real slow, because you have a slow sword yeah. being drawn from a scabbard's hand. Uh, and then it shoots a little flashlight at the sword, so it, you know the light glints off of it. Yeah. <laughs> or at the knife, rather. Get a little laser or something. I gotta say, Drew Barrymore's character says uh, that the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies suck, and... Uh, so I, 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 I'm okay that she died, basically. <laughs> I mean, that was actually apparently Wes Craven's <laughs> opinion, as, as as I read. Yeah, uh, uh, because he did not. Because I believe he sold the rights after the first one, then he did not um, enjoy the rest of them. See, I thought or he at least most of the rest of them. I thought he'd been. I, I, maybe I not the first one. Maybe after the first couple. Mm. But yeah, he definitely was sour on the uh, series, which I think is. Um, 
Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. It sort of reflects on the time when this movie came out. Because Scream came out at a time when horror movies were not doing very well. Yeah. They, you know, you weren't getting a lot of good cinematic horror movies. You know, this was at the time when VHS was becoming very affordable. Um, and, uh, you know, not like it cheap like it was at the end, but very affordable. So, you know, you could release, you know, five six sequels to uh to video you know you could have your 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 puppet master 12 and and all those movies and that's where horror movies sort of were at this time which was cheap um and often very shitty uh home uh, you know vhs movies like vhs quality um and then this came around that it was you know really slick um it was you know clearly high budget it had a bunch of you know actors that weren't people that turned up the day like the one day that they had to cast the movie it wasn't just the people who were able to make it on that day (laughs) um you know it was done by somebody who knew what they were doing and who were allowed to do what they wanted to do um and and yeah so i think and so yeah it did it really pulled the horror movies in general sort of like out of the water with that because right after this came um I know what you did last summer, which was a like a totally straight, like not even I, I did not see like a moment's worth of like meta commentary in that one. It's just like a totally straight slasher movie, like a teen slasher movie, and it's really good. It's you know it's uh, for you know it's it's it, it's got thrills. It's you know it's not it's not smart at all. Um, but yeah, and then the, 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 the big reveal is idiotic, but, but the rest of it, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. See, you know, and I, uh, I haven't, I haven't watched that again since, you know, the late nineties either. Yeah. And I remember at the time not particularly liking that one either. I mean, I think I watched it and had a good enough time cause Hey, I'm watching a horror movie or something. Yeah, that's, but that's, it that's kind the exact of, same problem because, uh, I like Sarah Michelle Geller in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I haven't really ever liked her anything else that I've seen, not that I've seen a ton of stuff with her in it, but like for, she's like, she's very much Buffy to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I haven't really bought her as an actress and other stuff too much. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, I was actively annoyed by because again, like, you know, all, what was going on with TV and whatnot. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan <laughs> Philippe was fine, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think the same thing. It's like, I, I went in disliking the entire <laughs> cast and I realized, you know, most of them are probably going to get killed anyway, but it'd be nice to at least sort of like them or at least dislike them for like concrete character reasons rather than just cause I'm like, eh, about the cast, you know, I have a bad attitude about late nineties horror rejuvenation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, I, I, Casper Van Dien saw those two guys making money. He's like, I can do that, and he couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, you know what I, I liked about the opening scene that we're, um, is that the just another '90s thing, but like a, a fresh '90s thing was the cordless phone. Because before the cordless phone, you know, there's only so much you can do with the whole telephone thing. And, like, that first scene really depended on the whole telephone thing. Yeah. That you, you know, she carries, she's carrying the phone around because you got to be able to answer the phone. And he's stalking her no matter where she goes in the apartment um, or in the the house, rather. And, you know, it... it, um, It works uh, just because that's sort of like it's... You know, I mean, I'm sure cordless phones have been the movies for a while now, but this is the first time it's really treated as a ubiquitous enough thing that you could murder somebody by way of it. 
Yeah. Or, you know, you could use it to, to assist you. Um, Which at the yeah. time was clever. I mean, yeah. now it feels just the remarkable thing seems like the fact that A lot of the clever things in this movie are clever for the time and yeah. that's it. Which is tricky because, I mean, what do you do? I mean, it, 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 it worked at the time, you know, yeah. and, and we can at least look at it back now even when we say, oh, well, that seems kind of silly now. We yeah. at least have that awareness that it was that specific moment. Like, I feel like, like the 90s was a really, really interesting historical period for phones in, uh, in TVs and movies. I remember when we when we sat down, me and Angela sat down to watch X Files straight mm-hmm. through uh, a few years back. Uh, that was one of the things too. Is like the phones start out ridiculous in the first couple <laughs> of years in that show, you know. And this, it, you really have this document of this is when like mobile phones were exciting enough that people would go ahead and use the ridiculous gigantic bricks with a straight face because, you know, the balance of coolness versus the retrospective silliness of these objects, you know, was still on the side of cool. It was still like, oh, wow, they're using technology, you know, and then probably pretty quickly, like possibly significantly faster than actual consumer uptake of affordable small phones came along. Mm -hmm. I feel like movies were just like, you know what, let's just use a small phone. Let's just... Let's just let's move right along to to, to a smaller, non stupid looking phone, and uh, we'll just say the characters have enough money to afford them. Yep, they um, the Sopranos was a lot like that. Where this over the course of the Sopranos, you just see the the cell phones very quick evolution from like the brick thing, where the only difference between the generations was that it got slightly less brickier. Um, to you know, like a flip phone, to a to no, it's like I think like a Nokia sized one, to to a clamshell, to a flip phone, and then a clamshell. And I don't remember if they had smartphones on it yet, but um, yeah, just because they were always going through burner phones, they always got new ones. So you yeah. could, you, you could watch the uh, uh, like you know over like the ten or so years or six. I mean, it was on the air for six years, something like I mean, a, maybe like eight years passed in total. Anyway. Um, phones, man. Phones. Yeah, phones. Another very '90s thing when when Sydney at some point tries to make a 911 call and the phone is uh, beeping fast, as if I guess someone has cut the phone line. Maybe I, that's um, what it was supposed to represent. I don't know if that's what happens when you cut a phone line. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if you get the fast busy or if you just not get yeah. anything. But uh, in any case, mm-hmm. she then uses the internet to call. 911 which the thing is if the phone line is cut this is 1996 yeah. you're probably on dial up which means either the phone line that was cut is not available for that or you have two phone lines and someone bothered to cut only exactly one of them which you know, also is kind of weird it- this is probably not what happened, but they're so far out in the country that an argument could be made that they have satellite internet because that was around back then. And you know, if you lived in the sticks, I think it was your only option because uh, yes. dial-up was too. What do you call it? Um, like if there's not enough repeaters on the line, just the signal gets too shitty for data. Yeah, that's that's what ha- I think. That's how that works. Well, maybe 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 that's the explanation. Maybe, yeah, why maybe not? Someone can back that up. Uh, um, but I did like the fact that it was just like a console thing where you chat with the nine one one operator. Um, <laughs> What's your emergency? Yeah. What are you wearing? <laughs> ASL. There's a reference somewhere early in the movie. Drew Barrymore says, "You know, they've got nine hundred numbers for that." Which I realize those oh, yeah. probably still exist, but that also feels like something that's really, really not so much the thing it was. 
Like in the mid nineties, you were probably still seeing plenty of like commercials on TV for dial now. And I feel like, well, you know, I, I guess I can't say with confidence because I'm going to say like, you don't really see those anymore, but I just don't watch that kind of broadcast TV anymore. I, I don't really see TV. Yeah, I don't so maybe, remember where 900 numbers. Cause I mean, I used to watch network TV into like the late hours of the night. Um, and I remember like dating site ones, but that were actual dating sites, not like, uh, or like, you know, hookup sites, but not like straight up phone sex. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, on the pornography channels, it was, it was, it was advertised there and in literally every alternative weekly, um, <laughs> in the back, uh, and the phone book. Phone book had um, it was it was an amazing discovery when you're like you know twelve and you know a young boy just really bored so I'm just going through the phone book I end up at the escort section and it's like just this really lurid section of the yellow pages with uh, you know just just plastered in like you know half naked women that was the yellow pages there's a nineties thing yes although we still technically get phone books we keep a. Uh, uh copy in in the basement just in case of i guess that very specific sort of apocalypse uh i don't think we <laughs> really expect that. Still work in all the businesses we yeah. go around yeah i don't know exactly <laughs> uh but hey what the hell you know it doesn't take much space and maybe we'll need to start a fire sometime so um and they keep delivering wait. them so it's like you know it's almost like just because you know make them feel better about wasting all that paper and their desperate you know clinging to their dying business model uh is th- I think their entire business model is finding ways to just alphabetize bail bond name places so that yours appears first. <laughs> the, star, star, inventing star, a new letter zero, that comes zero. Before a. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the, uh, the, the, the down temple acoustic bit of uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was a nice uh, sort of, again, no, of the time, but also, a, yeah, a nice subtle uh, hint about Skeet being yeah. a gross murderer that. Ugh, God, like, I don't. I, I don't understand if he was supposed to come off as not obviously horrible. Like, like I watch the movie and like this character is like just nonstop, total, total horrible skis. But yep. uh, but I, I don't know if in 1996 he was supposed to read unambiguously skeezy or read more as like oh sort of. I don't know. Is he or isn't he bad boy? Sort of I think it was supposed to be that because he's really just creepy and sleazy, but at the same time, he's sort of like respectful of her boundaries. And I don't know what that was supposed to come off as. Well, I guess that's part of the thing is like, was he actually respectful of his, her boundaries he or just really well, grudgingly, he, grossly respectful he, of it? He was, yeah, no, he was definitely like begrudgingly respectful, but he was also immediately respectful. Like, you know, yeah. she was just like, back off, and he's, you know, he backs off and, like, you know, leaves the room, so... Which, fair. I mean, uh, it, it, it's modeling a certain amount of good... And, and possibly this is tainted by me being annoyed by Sco- Skeet Ulrich and knowing that he's going to turn out to be the murderer, but... Maybe it's just one of those things where it's just, like, just because he's the villain doesn't mean he has to be, like, creepy in that sense, or just very, very creepy in that sense. Yep. That, because that would, you know, be a thing in horror movies where, you know, the creepy guy wasn't, like, you know, offensively sexually creepy as well. Yeah. Like, he could just be, you know, weird and looming and, um, which, you know, is kind of like, um, yeah, Anthony Perkins in Psycho, I don't think, I, I don't remember, he's like, I'm trying to remember what he was like as far as, like, the, 
sexual relationship that would be would have developed between him and Janet Leigh. It, I don't remember it being like he was weird, but he, I don't think he was coming on to her at any point. Yeah, I don't remember though. I, I, it's been a it's been a while since yeah. I've seen it. I've seen the Gus Van Sant version more recently, so that also colors my my memory of the specific interactions. Which man, I I, I didn't. I, I actually I liked I liked that remake as a thing, uh, like a shot for shot remake. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was an interesting thing. I thought Van Sant did a good job of sort of playing with the fact that he was doing this odd thing. I just kind of didn't like, uh, you know, what's his face, Vince Vaughn as 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 uh, Vince Vaughn. Yeah, it was Vince Vaughn. That's weird. Vince Vaughn as as Anthony Perkins as you know, and it was it, it, it was, and it's it's as weird as it sounds. Like he just. It really, it, it it was one goofy soundtrack away from being a parody. <laughs> like, like I don't know who was like, you know, I watched Swingers and I really saw a darkness in him. You know, it's like I, I I don't know I don't know exactly how it happened, but I I felt like that was the one like active misstep in the the casting of that film, and I, they could have gotten someone else to do what would have felt like much more because it just it, it felt sort of cheesy. It felt like it felt like scenery chewing. Like Anthony Perkins yeah. was creepy as fuck but he was creepy as fuck partly because it was just sort of this subtle sense of offness below this like genuine charm whereas vince vaughn just comes off as like a weird creepy guy with problems like there there's there was i didn't feel like there was any charm in his performance in in van sant's crispin uh, glover crispin glover could have been interesting yeah but yeah i don't know anyway what were we yeah. talking about what, what movie did we watch <laughs> 1981 scream. Right, right, right. Uh, I did like the line, hey, it's called tact fuck reg. I thought that was a Yeah, that was... I I like the... In that... So, slang in this movie is so weird. Like, there's there's things that people would use, like, you know, asshole, you know, fucker, things like that. There's, you know, there's... And I'm not just talking about, like, obscene slang, but, like, you know, there's... In that, like, that scene where they're all hanging out by the fountain, there's fuck rag, and there was one other one that I just... I can't, um... I can't remember what it was. Uh, it was just something else with the word fuck in it. Um, oh, goon fuck. When she calls him goon fuck, which are two <laughs> things that have... Fuck rag, I mean, I think I've heard before. Goon fuck, no, you made that one up. That Somebody uh, somebody forgot their line or something. Um, and then, you know, the Dewey at some point says five and dime. Oh, yeah. Which is just, no. Yeah, you can buy, buy these yeah. masters, only five and dime in the state. Yeah, there's none of those. The, 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 your state doesn't have any five and dimes anymore. <laughs> it's not 1957. Um, yeah, there was, and the, just the, the the dialogue in this movie. Like, I couldn't tell if somebody if somebody just messed up, kind of, or if it was on purpose or both. Because did Wes Craven write this movie? Because Wes Craven is very old. No, Kevin Williamson wrote this. I'm not sure who that is. Um, uh, yeah, I. Yeah, he's done a lot of TV writing, it seems. Um, Maybe he wrote for Party of Five. Oh, and he wrote The uh, the Faculty, which was, what's his name? It was Robert Rodriguez, yeah. Yeah. Which, oh man, I think I rewatched that again a few years ago. And I remember watching it when it first came out and being like, eh, I kind of like it, I kind of think it's dumb. And then I rewatched it and I was like, yeah, no, it really is dumb. It really is a really dumb movie. Um, looked good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was a somewhat disappointing <laughs> flick that that yeah. faculty but hey john john stewart you know dramatic role uh-huh. was 
he has a small part as a teacher who goes evil because he's a member of the faculty. Um, oh, speaking of dramatic roles, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fonzie. Yes, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. Yes. I, you know, I saw him um, in a play. Yeah. I saw him in a play with, um, what's, what's the name of the guy that died? Uh, Three's Company. John Ritter? Yes, it was him and John Ritter and some other actor from like television in a either Broadway or off-Broadway play about, I don't, I don't remember what. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I, I like him. I like seeing Henry Winkler on the screen. He's, he's delightful to watch. Yep. Um, and they, they red herring the shit out of him in this too. And <laughs> really bitch. obviously though, yeah. like, I couldn't tell if they were making fun of like, um, just the, the red herring trope or, or not. I mean, they had to have been kinder because I, I mean, he just threatens yeah. people with scissors to their throat yeah. and he wears the mask and goes booga booga. Yep. Um, and then, and then he goes to investigate a suspicious noise, and you know he's going to die in like thirty seconds because yep. that's one of the rules. Yep. Yeah. The 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 rules thing was, you know, I think that's another one of those things. Like, probably seemed really smart in the nineties to like enumerate, like you know, to just really obviously and and you know without any sort of pretense, you know, um, enumerate like a list of horror movie rules and define them as that, and then. You know, probably at the time, it was really just like, oh, wow, they're so self-aware. And so it's like, wow, they're far too self-aware. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's still, yeah, you know, like a lot of horror movie dumb in this. Although it was, um, what I really liked was, uh, so it, it even even with the beginning scene, Ghostface, um, you know, Drew Barrymore kicks him and he goes down and this just like, you know, they immediately, w- the first thing is that they immediately establish that this is not a supernatural villain. You know, this isn't a Freddy or a Jason or, or you know, even like a Leatherface who's not supernatural, but he's, you know, like a freak or, yeah, or Jason who is sort of, you know, um, wait, did I already mention Jason? Yeah, I did. Uh, or Michael Myers who also, I think, does he come back from the dead? Uh, I don't remember. I, yes, I mean they made several, and he's, I think he returned yeah. as the monster. But, uh, yeah. he's, but I mean, he, uh. he's not. It's not implied that he's human at any point. Like he's not like some guy hiding out as Michael Myers. Yeah, you know, it's not like a secret identity. Yeah, um, he's, he's some sort of yeah. force of horror nature. Yeah, and but, yeah, you know, just, yeah, they establish yeah. the vulnerability of yeah. of the ghost. Murderer. Yeah. And then instead of just establishing it, they just keep doing it over and over again, and it becomes sort of like a slapstick thing yeah. at some point where, you know, um, where it just, you know, Ghostface getting hurt. Because, you know, inside there is a 17-year-old boy who's just, like, very strong and, you know, uh, resilient, but, you know, still, you can smash a freezer door into his head and he'll go down. Yep. Or you can hit him in the nuts with a beer bottle. That's, that's another cut of this movie yeah. I like to see is just all the footage of... of- <laughs> Skeet and, and Lillard getting their asses handed to them in, in murder costume. Because I feel like that would be a, a good solid two minutes, too, if you cut the whole thing together. Just like every every shot they take uh, throughout the film. Um, uh, I like the joke about Liver Alone, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that was... Well, what is this? What was this? Oh, did they ever establish why Hannibal Lecter was eating people? <laughs> like, yeah, they did, and nobody went for it. Yep. Um, there was, I think, I I can't a hundred percent figure it out if it is or not, but I think um, 
the first appearance of Ghostface where he just, you know, like all in black, just quickly, you know, goes from in like a frame doorway with like walls on either side, just quickly passes through there. Um, in Exorcist 3, there's a scene where you just see like um, a, a shot of a nurse's station and there's like walls toward the inside there. So you see people going across like in and out. And, you know, nothing happens like some nurses talk and, like, people go in and out, and then you're sort of lulled into being like, uh, I wonder what's going to happen. And, you know, one of the nurses just walks from left to right and passes through there, and then immediately after her with, like, a in the soundtrack and a deep zoom in is a guy who's dressed basically like Ghostface, except all in white. And he's got this giant pair of uh, scissors, I think, like right at her throat, and they both just, like, walk through. Yeah. And I, I'm almost entirely sure it's a reference to that because... You know, that movie's not memorable for a lot of things, but that scene is, like, very, very memorable, yeah. if you've seen it. That, that movie, I, I liked Exorcist 3, actually. I, I enjoyed it uh, a fair amount. I thought it was... That, that was the one at the nursing movie. home, or the hospital, or, no, or something like that? Because it wasn't yeah, just, like, a regular hospital, yeah, right? It, it, may have been a, it may have been partly a uh, mental health facility, may have been right. part of the deal. Because, I mean, there's a great scene of a little old lady crawling around on the ceiling... Yeah, that's what uh, I'm thinking. That, that that's another nice, weird little, genuinely creepy moment. Partly because it's just kind of an understated thing that's happening that people don't notice. Um, I thought uh, I thought the main cast was was good in it. You know, it, it's a very talky film in parts with uh, um, the 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 priest possessed by the devil talking to oh, what's his face, the guy, the the main character in it. Um, anyway, I, I, I thought I thought that was a really solid film. Actually, I've oh. I've never sat down and watched Exorcist two, and partly because everybody's always like, "Oh my god, Exorcist 2. Uh So I've really seen one, and I've seen three. Yeah, because Exorcist two, I think, is a direct sequel, and Exorcist three is like a thematic sequel. Yeah, and William Friedkin, I think, uh, was allowed to direct Exorcist three because at that point, Exorcist two, I guess, probably mm-hmm. did badly enough that they're like, "Uh, fine, yeah, let let the writer." Uh, make the movie sure whatever <laughs> but um yeah yes good flicks yeah. uh dewey terrible cop yeah no he's really, really he's just really bad at being a abysmal cop yeah um what you know like uh, his job is police yeah. officer yeah nev campbell just punches courtney cox in the face and he's just like well come on let's go doesn't even reprimand her for just assaulting somebody in public yep. um He's just like, you know, I mean, I guess the entire police department is terrible because clearly everybody knows about this teenage party that's happening. It's like, you know, for a fact that there's going to be underage drinking and drugs in there. And yet you're like, eh, whatever. And then he goes in there and he's just like, hey, you know, you're underage. Give me that. Just kidding. And he gives the kid the beer back and says, drive safe. Yep. I, I don't know. Was like, is he supposed to be like a comically bad cop? Because it, it I, didn't come off as that funny. It just came off as him like not existing in the movie for a reason. Yeah, he really seemed like. I mean, that's 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 part of what mm-hmm. annoys me about the 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 Dewey and the reporter, the Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. the David Arquette arc in the movie is like. It really does seem like it's going for a little bit of uh, a, a, a sort of redemption of Dewey the loser thing mm-hmm. you know but instead it just feels like Dewey the loser and this annoying reporter like each other is where the film actually ends up you know and sure she she shoots the bad guy at a key moment right at the end of the film but I don't really care that she did like it was good that someone did because we were getting to the fake out ending where you know, everything's okay except it's not someone has to do something but I wasn't like yeah finally I'm really seeing the the, 
the, the, the, the profound, you know, character at the core of this reporter. Instead, I'm just like, oh, I guess you turned the safety off this time. Yeah. Okay. Now her and David Arquette are just going to keep being, ah. So, yeah, the, the fact that Dewey comes off as such like this schlub, but they don't do anything interesting with him being a schlub other than having it be okay at the end because Courtney Cox likes him anyway. You know, it's like that's just not a – there's no satisfaction in that arc. It's just annoying characters make good. And it's like, yeah. hey, let's throw him a party. Um, Although I did like the scene where, like – Tatum's uh, or Tatum's bugging him, and he's just like, "You remember what Mama said? Yeah. You know, when I wear this, when I wear this uniform, I'm a representative of the law." Yeah, which was the law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a nice little dynamic. Yeah. His chief, the guy who plays the uh, police chief, I don't think he has ever smoked a cigarette in his life before that scene. <laughs> he's like holding it slightly above the filter between his knuckles. Nobody holds a cigarette like that. He, he, um, and he, then he's just like taking these weird, quick little puffs on it. Um, I don't think he's ever held a cigarette in his hand before. He, he's been trying to quit for twenty years. Uh, he's been trying to start for like ten days. So it's he's really had a lot of practice at not smoking. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we sort of talked about the ghost getting beat up. Uh, they're also like that goes hand in hand with them establishing Sydney as not a stupid horror victim. The fact that she yeah. fights in a timely fashion, uh, we see sort of callback to the closet door closing, you know, blocking her mm-hmm. bedroom door from opening from when her dad tried to, you know, peek in. Yeah, uh, the whole dialing nine eleven thing and then going to the modem thing, even if it's stupid, mm-hmm. you know, the resourcefulness there. So it's the film. That's one of the things the film was very active about was setting her up as like okay, but now for realsies. Uh, this is this is a girl who's gonna gonna actually put up a proper horror movie fight thing. Yeah, and then when she when she goes out the window, like it's just like, well, looks like I'm going out the window, and then she she starts slipping. She's like, I gotta jump because uh, you know he was tugging her back in, and then it cuts to the fact that she jumped into like a safe spot. You're like, oh, there was probably forethought in that. Like she knew what she was doing going out that window because you don't just go out like a third story window yeah. onto a sloped roof. Um, so yeah, that was uh, I like that. Um, there's this. There's do this. you do, uh, just a quick question, Ghostface? Do you do you think it's a Wu Tang reference? I don't know. I didn't even know that that was the there's name of no, the character. Like they don't say that anywhere in the film. Uh, do they? One time, um, uh, Tatum says, "You gonna kill me, Ghostface?" Oh. And I, you know, I I don't think it's a reference to uh, the uh, whatever kung fu film that came from. I forget which one, but but there's also like not even a trace of hip hop on the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, it, it which seems, was weird. It like in retrospect, unlikely that someone's actually making a reference to Ghostface Killer in this film of all films because it doesn't really feel like there's yeah any of that sensibility. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like anybody. I mean, who I was think, in the movie. Yeah would be aware of Wu-Tang Clan. I'm trying to figure out if the fact that the town... I mean, like, in the second movie, they absolutely, like, you know, lampshade the fact that the town is just white people. Um, it, like, in the beginning of the second one, like, the opening scene. Um, but uh, 
in um all the way at the end, like when she's like when uh, Courtney Cox is doing her last report, and he's just like you know here in this sleepy town that's you know that it was established to get Ottawa. far away. Yeah. But she was like she specifically says like established to get far away from like the crime and misery of the city. I'm like you were like explicitly <laughs> saying that this was a white flight town. I am full I, of just um, I'm willing. I'm totally yeah. right right here right now. I hadn't thought about it before, but now you're gonna. I'm totally willing to read this film as a stealth. Uh, criticism and caricature of uh, soft segregation, white country living. Like, like yes, maybe maybe that's the actual story here. Is not that hey, these two guys were sociopaths, pops possibly because of emotional trauma, and so that's why they ended up doing this terrible thing. It's actually, you know what, you motherfuckers are crazy. You know, you could you can go hide in the fucking suburbs. Uh, but you're still crazy assholes and you're just going to end up killing each other anyway because, you know, that is the problem. The problem is something fucking wrong with white people. And I mean, like, the the, the suburban, or like, you know, like, the, the, I mean, it's almost rural there. Uh, like, just like the, the, the remote from, like, the civilization thing and, like, neighbors being far away and you're driving where it gets a number of people killed. It gets definitely gets Drew Barrymore killed. Like, you know, Ghostface even says it. He's like, it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, the police will take way too long to get there. And, you know, she has no way of leaving. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have, like, a killer stalk you around a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, there, there's five rooms, probably. And when you're done with those five rooms, you go out in the hallway, run into the street where there's people. Yep. Um, you know, it's, is so I, I think that, that remoteness, um, just gets quite a number of people killed, which, you know, falls in with that. Yep. Okay. I want to, I want to bring up a, a weird little touchstone that I don't mm-hmm. know that this was in any way an intentional one, but I was sort of mm-hmm. vibing on this. So we've got Courtney Cox as a reporter, uh, who, by the way, like this April O'Neil, uh, oh, the power suit, yeah, instead of a jumpsuit, she's going with like, yeah. The, the shoulder pads. Lime the, green day glow power suit miniskirt, um, chunky red suede heels. See, I thought it was more like a yellow, more of a lemon than a lime, but uh, maybe just whatever different. it is. It was fucking day yeah, glow. Yeah, it was, it, it, was, was, it was a bright fluorescent, horrific monster of an outfit. Uh, I would love to see her in front of a green screen with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> head and arms. Uh, but, but we get we get her. She comes on the scene. Uh, she says to Tatum, "Can you tell me anything?" And Tatum says, "Yeah, you're a real pain in the ass." Uh, <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, I, I, I suddenly had this like this vibe of this like weird valence to Margot Kidder at the end of Superman two, <laughs> telling whoever the female uh, Kryptonian criminal was that she's a real pain in the neck, and then <laughs> and then socks her in the jaw. And then and then Sydney punches Courtney Cox yeah. uh, a little bit later in the film, which ties the whole thing together for me. And it's like I don't know what it is, but I guess you know. I mean, yeah, reporter, you got uh, you know Daily Planet, you got Lois Lane. Uh, so Courtney I, Cox, Lois Lane, you've got the same sort of alliteration in the names. You've got the yeah like anyway. reporter, yeah, um, yeah. I could. I mean, I am willing to buy almost any theory on illusions in this movie. <laughs> it's just it's that kind of movie that you know, like the um, when you see the killer reflected in uh, Drew Barrymore's eyes, or just like the one eye, I think that's a reference to Strangers on a Train, where you watch uh, the murder happen through like a through a reflection in a pair of glasses that fell off mm. the person being murdered. 
Um, I, so I want to say it's an allusion to that, but I mean, I, I feel like maybe there's something a little more recent and a little more straight up horror genre where, you know, that happens where there's something reflected in like a, a solitary eye, yeah. you know, dead open eye. Um, but yeah, no, like as far as references to other movies, I, you, you, you name it, I'll, I'll yeah, probably. Why not? <laughs> uh, David Arquette at some point is wandering around in a t-shirt and I'm guessing boxer shorts, but I don't know, pointing a gun casually at people he doesn't have any intention to shoot <laughs> in the house. He's just like, he's wandering around sort of gun out, looks at a person, talks to them, gun points, you know, it's, again, terrible cop, terrible, terrible cop. Skeet Ulrich scratches his head with the gun at one point. <laughs> Remember, like all the way at the end when the say I think when he makes a point, I think the safety might have been on because uh, when Courtney Cox steals it, the safety's on, and I, you know it's pretty clear she didn't turn the safety on. Um, or, but that might have just been you know Matthew Lillard turning it on after you know he gets handed the gun because uh, Skeet Ulrich is insane and probably would scratch his head with a loaded gun. Could be. A little thing I liked was the when when Sydney's hiding in the stall in the bathroom and the two girls are talking and they're gossiping about Sydney and about Sydney's slow. Oh yeah, with the cheerleader with the strangely you know piercing insight. Yeah, she she like elucidates this super cogent theory about <laughs> Sydney as killer. Like, and it's kind of great because it's yeah. on the one hand it's like yeah people gossip and they're jerks, but on the other hand it's like it's it's so. It's such a considered thesis that it totally goes against the like dumb blonde cheerleader. So it was it was a it was a kind of cute little play on that. Yeah, and um, and then the uh, just to add on to the whole everyone's a suspect thing. At that point is when uh, you know what you see of Ghostface is like his work boots lowering, and then at some point, oh yeah, like at the point where the chief finishes smoking his cigarette and throws it in the ground to you know stub it out with his foot, he's wearing the same boots. Uh, I didn't even notice that. Um, where it was just like you know they immediately they're just like you know why not? Yeah, just everybody. Everybody has like something that might make them the killer. Uh, Save for anybody who's been on screen with the killer at the same time, which is then itself, you know, uh, negated away. I liked um, at the end of the movie when, uh, you know, it, Matthew Lillard does the I'll be right back spooky thing, <laughs> except now they're in the middle of like murdering people, and it's just, I had, um, and then he dies, which is the best part. Yep. Uh, yep. I liked the janitor dressed as Freddy. It was a nice little... Named Fred, yeah. yeah nice little one-off <laughs> joke. Uh, the, there's a Richard Gere gerbil reference. Yeah, which that again, was... Which, again, 1996. Wow. Richard yeah, Gere like, must be pissed. Well, yeah, I, 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 I have to feel like if a kid today watched the movie, all they would have to say is, who the fuck is Richard Gere? Yep. You know, it's like, <laughs> why would they... Yeah, so that's, apparently that did eventually sort of die. Although it only died in the sense that everybody who gets the dumb reference is older now and hasn't seen a Richard Gere movie in 10 years. Uh, Wait, you mean it, the kids aren't watching an officer and a gentleman? Yeah, I know. It's weird, right? You know? Uh, How would they get that reference in The Simpsons? Season 2. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what's that, um, what's that movie with E.T.'s mom in it? Which... Uh, uh, this is... <laughs> I, I, I don't actually want to be a, a, a dick about it. Uh... Because because it's actually, you know, it's a reasonable thing to say E.T.'s mom when what you mean is, oh, the mom in E.T., who obviously wasn't E.T.'s mom, <laughs> she was Elliot's mom. 
But I kind of want to get persnickety at that point because this is my one complaint about the opening scene of the film is the 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 the, the killer on the phone threatening Drew Barrymore is wrong even when he's right because he asks you know who who the bad guy in uh, Friday the Thirteenth was. And he's, he's correct in that she says Jason Voorhees, and it's like, that's no, no, it was Mrs. Voorhees. She really was the victim in the first one. But he also says Jason didn't show up until the sequel, and fuck you, trivia killer. Jason showed up right at the end of that movie. He just didn't do yep. any killing in the movie, but he was fucking there. So technically, Drew Barrymore should yeah. probably still be Well, alive. maybe he was using showed up in a more figurative sense. Yeah, well, that's, or, that, 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 you, you know, if you're going to be a murder piece, are, are you telling I feel me like that, you that, that the pedantic. quiz that you have to answer to live that oh. the serial killers are giving you might be rigged? I'm just saying uh, Jigsaw would, would keep his promises. Jigsaw would play it straight. If he said, if you do this thing, mm-hmm. uh, you get a live, he wouldn't be like, ah, yeah, but that's not what I mean. I, no, no, I mean, uh, let, me, let me lock it back on you. We'll, let's do it again. You know, it's like, no, Jigsaw would be like, ah, I see. Welcome to the fold, my disciple. You know, it's just uh, it's, uh, the fact that these are 17-year-old boys being dicks, I guess, yeah. explains a lot away, but it's not a very satisfying explanation for getting a key fact wrong in your presentation in your meta horror film. So. Anyway, D. Wallace. Uh, D. Wallace was the mom yeah. of E.T. and okay. in Howling. Howling. Oh, that's right, which is referenced in this movie in the scene that takes place in the video store in the horror section. Yep. Um, which was, there was one funny thing that I'd never noticed about that is when uh, Jamie Kennedy is just like presenting his, the- his own theory about, you know, who the killer is or why, um, why, what's his name, is the killer, uh, Skeet Ulrich is the killer to Matthew Lillard. You know, he's presenting this, like, really gruesome theory, and there's just this woman behind him who was the one who asked him, you know, uh, about the howling who couldn't name it. Yeah. She's directly behind him, and she's out of focus, but you see her face just sort of, like, drop, and then she looks around (laughs) and walks away. That's nice. I didn't catch that. Um, Oh, here's a question. Why does Henry Winkler have a full wardrobe in his principal's office? I don't know. Should that be in his house? Maybe, maybe he just, maybe he goes through a lot of suits. Maybe he's, he's a really active principal. He likes to, he likes to fit the part. He's got a different suit for every period uh, of the day. You know, the bell rings, you know, everybody else going to class. He's changing suits. So, yeah, so yeah. Have you ever seen Prom Night? Because I have not. That was I have not seen Prom Night. That repeatedly referenced film. Yeah. Um. So Tatum, uh, what's his name's character? Uh, what's her name? Rose McGowan's character. She's either supposed to know a bunch about horror movies, or like is a horror fan somewhat, because she references um, "I spit on your grave." Yeah. Well, I mean, she what uh, was "I spit on your garage." Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a reference to "I spit on your grave," which is a, uh, a horror like thriller uh, revenge movie. Um, and then she also <laughs> makes a reference to Wes Carpenter and I don't know, maybe in this universe, that's a guy. <laughs> maybe. Yep. Um, also the town that dreaded mm-hmm. sundown. Uh, oh, yeah. was the one that was like, I have not seen that. I haven't even heard of that one. Prom night I've heard of. I just, you know, yeah. didn't, uh, didn't get there yet. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a fly by Tori spelling diss. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of great in a petty, like, 90s TV sort of way. I uh, mean, you know, we haven't just, I mean, at that point, we just hadn't had a chance to see Nev Campbell be bad at acting as often as we have uh, Tori Spelling. So, you know, don't, don't, don't start 
uh, dissing anyone else until you get your own. Uh, until you get your own. Whatnot. There, there, there was a scene at one point with some littering, some conspicuous littering. Did they yeah, go anywhere I, with that? I don't remember if they I brought that back I or if that was just know. like littering. I, I think it was just they, they kept establishing that the camera guy was like slovenly and fat and like junk food. So I think it was just supposed to be just building up that more, which I found pointless. Yeah, did, I mean, they didn't do anything with that as far as yeah. I know. So, yeah. Uh, also, seriously, and this is a direct quote in all caps for my notes, seriously, <laughs> fuck watching David Arquette eat an ice cream cone in extreme close-up. I did not need that. I didn't need any of that. I don't know who that's for. I do not know who that's for. Courtney um, Cox, probably. She was like, tra- <laughs> she set the whole thing up. She's traveling back and It's time. her running the camera. Also, Jamie Kennedy is holding a vote at the uh, horror movie party, whatever the hell. Uh, he says, how many... I, I think the idea was how many for Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he said. But, how many but I, I thought... I, what I, I, I ran it back to make sure... I think he just says, how many Evil Dead? How many Hellraisers? Which, whatever. You know, oh, they've established yeah. they're voting for it. That's fine. But, but yes, uh, Hellraiser makes an appearance in this film. It's topical for the podcast. There we go. Boom. Tied it back. Also, uh, uh, apparently, they pick a J- Jamie Lee Curtis movie instead of either of those. So, or maybe they watched one of those earlier, it, and then. So all the way at the well, now I mean towards the end, like right uh, when uh, Ghostface is hovering over uh, Jamie Kennedy, who's screaming, "Watch out, Jamie!" Yes, I thought that was Jamie very Lee cute. Curtis. Um, the scene where he's you know he's by himself now. Is he supposed to be like super drunk? I don't know. He's acting like really weird, and there's no there's no precedence for it. I'm assuming he's a bit drunk, and yeah, like maybe like it, you know, it made me think of Friday the Thirteenth Part Four mm-hmm. and the uh, yeah. the guy who kept telling Kristen Glubber <laughs> Kristen oh, yeah, Glubber yeah. that he was a <laughs> fuck, and uh, he ends up watching like the uh, eight millimeter black and white silent uh, yeah. burlesque films, and it, it made me think of that. Um, which again may maybe a reference, maybe just you throw a dumb kid on a couch and boom, you've yeah. got you know a scene. But, uh, but yeah, I thought I thought the lookout Jamie thing was it was it was it was a it was a cute meta meta touch. Uh, the idea that he was warning himself if you knew the name of the actor, it almost makes me not mind that it's Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, uh, there was a scene I I really liked between. Um Jamie Kennedy and Matthew Lillard uh, in the video store before they start talking about it, where he's just like, you know, do you think I have a chance with Sid? And then, you know, Matthew Lillard just like total seriousness. No, not a chance. No. <laughs> and it was just like, just like that drop out of, like out of yeah. like the wacky goofy guy into just like total just earnestness total was really good. And he does the same thing um, all the way at the end of the movie on the phone where he's just like, Oh, I'm dying. Blah. And then he's on the phone. Well, and it's just like the, the tone of his voice changes to a lot, you know, more, uh, you know, calm and normal, even though he's like literally in the process of dying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the the extended uh, death scenes that the two guys got because you know it's it would, it, they weren't they weren't quick and they were like really gruesome and you know there was I mean what's his name uh, and then uh, Matthew Lillard gets like the TV dropped in his head as it's playing a moment where I think Jamie Lee Curtis fires a gun. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah, with the other. <laughs> And yeah, like the TV getting dropped on his head and killing him is, you know, it's, I, it, it probably wasn't over the top then. It was, you know, just, uh, 
a clever reference. Do you think it was a, was it a '90s thing? Because I've seen this on '90s sitcoms too, especially um, news radio. Is that you make a quote or a reference to something, and then you say what the thing is? That because they did that in this movie so much. They did, well, and and again, I think I feel like that's sort of it's sort of the weird thing about the movie because like as clever as the film is and as as sort of timely an idea it was to sort of had go ahead and do this like you know really self-aware genre savvy movie where everybody in the movie was familiar with horror movies etc cetera, etc cetera. it does feel like the fact that maybe it hadn't been done better before recently made them not be as careful about some of that not quite as smart about some of that as they would have been because that, that 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 feels like part of the difference between how scream is handled versus say cabin in the woods cabin in the woods chock full of references but almost entirely left you know to the viewer to like put the connection together or not like you don't have bradley whitford stopping saying you know like in that movie i mean partly because uh as as we talked about a bunch yeah. on that episode you know it's not entirely clear what the existence and nature of horror films in that universe even is but in any case yeah the the, the cabin in the woods just like uses the reference and you can get it or not and if you don't get it it's not really going to impact the story but if you do get it it's a nice delightful thing that you mm-hmm. get to feel smart about scream several times is like reference character telling you it's a reference yeah. you know and it's, it's just a little bit annoying like skeet Ulrich is totally you know doing that with a psycho mm-hmm. thing like we mentioned earlier like he we all go a little mad sometimes Anthony Perkins, psycho. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you didn't need to do that. You really didn't need to, you didn't need to, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe partly what they're thinking is that horror movies had really been on a downslide and they wanted to sort of bring in a younger crowd, maybe be more explicit about your references so that they can, like, take that and run with it without having to have seen the movies before. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funky line to watch, and I think they did an okay job in general, but there are yeah. those moments where it feels... Like it's less a movie for horror fans and more a movie for people who think they might be interested in being horror fans. Yeah. You know, in some of the some of the feel of the approach, yeah. which I resent as a horror fan because everything should cater to my specific needs. Uh, so, total question separate from this subject matter: Do you think murdering people turns Skeet Ulrich on? Maybe. Because both times, directly after a murder, like after Drew Barrymore's murder and after uh, uh, Rose McGowan's murder, he shows up somewhere around Jennifer Love Hewitt, like clearly, uh, I mean, not Nev Campbell, like clearly ruddy. <laughs> like he's he's yeah. definitely like I think, I think, he's he's got half of one going. I think that's that that's a totally plausible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's the implication that Tatum and Stu have a much more sexual relationship. Than, yeah, uh, Nev and uh, Skeet do so. There could be an implied parallel there, where maybe every time Lillard gets his kill on, then he and Tatum get it on, and we just don't see any of that. Uh, so, I like yeah, the maybe, fact that they. Um, I enjoy the fact that they made Tatum not stupid. Yeah. She was, you know, she, because, I mean, they had, like, you know, that that was, like, if there was going to be, a, like, an airhead character in this movie, it would be, like, the, you know, the, the perky blonde in the miniskirt and so on. But, you know, they did not, you know, they didn't go that way with her at all. She was, you know, she was kind of strange, but at the same time, like, she was not ignorant and, you know, she didn't do or say anything particularly stupid. And she was just, you know, she had fun, but uh, she was, you know, she was, she was capable and... 
yeah, like she she got the most uh, hits in on Ghostface too. She, yeah, I think she, so. she she got him good. Some damage. Yeah, and although the movie did really, really, really want us to know mm-hmm. that she had nipples, that was yep, that was not uh, something that they were going to be. Yeah. Uh, Half measure, and uh, the skirt that she was wearing, like in the party scene, with just like it has the um, it was it, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, it was a like an orange mini skirt, like '90s, so like very like there's no lines on it. It's just like a small tube you wear slightly below your waist, um, and it had this design on it that just literally like made a bullseye out of her crotch. <laughs> it was it was just like these uh it was like a sort of like a psychedelic design of like these uh like lines spitting into a spiral and it just like totally just centers on her crotch which i thought was just like that was you know it's the it's 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 like the lady uh uh what do you call it the lady version of like those pants that you can uh that at the crotch instead of having a uh instead of having a zipper there's like the lace up thing where it's just like hey crotch um so I thought, yeah, just like all the fashion in this movie, I, I, I enjoyed. Um, I like wanna, the, whenever she was on screen, she was dressed hilariously and yeah. like in a fun way. Yeah, her her, her outfits were like mm-hmm. outfits, dang it. Yeah, compared to Nev Campbell, mm-hmm. you know, dressed sort of toned down and conservatively the whole time. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask a question about the the garage fridge. Uh, she uh, when when Tatum goes off and gets herself killed is because she's going to the garage to get some beers, right? Uh, which I think Matthew Lillard asked her to do. So like that's a jerk movie. He's like, yeah, I, I think I think I should kill my girlfriend now. Hey, go get me a beer. I'm going to dress up and kill you. Although I'm not sure if that was Matthew or Skeet. I think that was Skeet because Skeet, you know, because the the they sleep together directly after that scene, ah, or okay. you know, just like and time wise, not like scene wise. Oh, yeah. maybe scene wise. I don't know, but definitely time wise, like the scene where they sleep together, it would make most sense if it took place immediately after that murder. Yeah. Well, in any case, she the, 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 all that aside, she goes and gets some beers out of the fridge, mm-hmm. and when she opens the door. There's a like a dozen and a half or two dozen white eggs sitting in the door <laughs> of the fridge, and why do you put why? why I, maybe you go through enough eggs that you need some extra eggs in the fridge in the garage. But why would you take them out of the carton and put them in the door like that? That you, you're just gonna have to put the fuckers in a bowl or something just to take them back to the kitchen. Who does that? Why would you? So that's, Maybe somebody in that family is a terrible mechanic, and the only way they can check if an engine is overheating is by making an egg on top of it. Maybe. And that's just their, you know, part of their procedure. Maybe that's the only way they like their eggs. It's only cooked on the manifold of a car <laughs> that's recently been running. They grew uh, up in a truck stop. Yes. Uh, uh, the oh shit, I got a delay thing with the uh, oh, yeah. camera. I... Mm, I, I really I really wish it had been oh by the way there's a delay not oh yeah. shit I got delay because you should not be surprised that there's a half a minute delay in your remote camera unit you should be like how the fuck is there possibly a half minute delay in my camera unit or oh yeah yeah it's it's on a half minute delay for who knows what fucking reason. it's wireless technology yeah. in 1996 yeah it just feels like the, the dumbest like like it's cute that they I I know they did because it let them play with the idea of not knowing whether you're seeing currently or what's happening next or characters not being aware of, of that sort of thing. But, uh, it was, it was a dumb line. It upset me. It made me like, yeah, that's no, no, I don't accept that you're surprised by this development. 
was that like supposed to be a thing where you know now they were watching like you know this it was roughly the equivalent of watching like the the kids watching Halloween them watching the kids watching Halloween on a delay so they're watching a pre-recorded video not a live video I wonder if that was supposed to be like a thing yeah, and if know, I'm wondering about it, it probably was yeah and 30 seconds is not long enough for it to yeah I don't know the whole thing didn't make sense I don't know where where they I mean, yeah. they developed the fact that 30 seconds is long enough for it to not be for in, long enough for somebody to get from the house to the van. So sure. it, it was long enough to get somebody killed if they were even, you know, even, even if they were watching it, if they saw Ghostface there and then leaving, it'd be too late yeah. because he would be right there. It just it, it seemed dumb in service of like, like, yeah. I feel like they just got trapped into doing a dumb little thing in service mm-hmm. of part of the story yeah. that they need to tell which yeah it's also the line where nev campbell's like this is life this isn't a movie and skeet's like sure yeah, it's, it. was- it's all a movie and and okay we're aware that the movie is self-aware so you know it, it falls into just cute there uh yeah, at least you, you you don't do anything with it it's you know like um I mean, it, it, it's just it's where a joke should be, but it's not. Yeah, and it could be eventually read as development mm-hmm. into the idea of the Skeet character, as it turns out to be some sociopath who's like dissociated from reality. And so, okay, the fact that he says it's all a movie may actually be an indicative of his mental state or whatever. But it's still, it still it, it was a little bit thudding. Uh, I'm going to assume that it was also a reference to Hamlet. Uh, Oh, life is stage. Yeah, yeah. All, 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 the, all the world is stage. That's Hamlet, right? I'm going to um, make sure. All the world is stage. either that or Midsummer Night's Dream. No, it's actually As You Like It. Oh, yeah. That. Well, sorry. Sorry, Shakespeare. Uh, I watch horror movies. Um, yeah, opening monologue from As You Like It, apparently. Huh. Uh, anyway, reference to Shakespeare. I'll just edit all that out and put it here. Me saying, "Oh yeah, it's a reference to Shakespeare." Um, also, I would like it if uh, the scene where Sydney and uh, Skeet are getting it on uh, then cut at that point to just the threesome scene from Wild Things. Just just change direction <laughs> suddenly and go there. I liked how bromancy it got after the big reveal that they were both the killers. There was a lot of like embracing. Yeah. And mostly on Matthew Lillard's part, just sidling himself up to Skeet Ulrich real close. Yep. Um, oh, at one point, somebody, oh God, I think it's, uh, somebody asks, um, was it Skeet Ulrich? It's just like, you know, have you totally lost your reality button? It's like, what? What? I, I mean, I know what they're getting at, but what? <laughs> I want to say something. I feel like somebody blew a line there and yeah, they were just well. like close enough. Um uh the thing about the rules uh and yeah. this is this is a stretch that's ridiculous but it occurred to me and so I wrote it down and so I'm going to say it but Jamie Kennedy's going to the rules never have sex never drink or do drugs never mm-hmm. ever say I'll be right back. Uh the star of this film Sydney played by Nev Campbell never never have sex never yeah I, I don't really know what to do with this but anyway Nev is uh, can't spell never without Nev I guess is what I want to say I'll buy it so there you go also uh, at this point in my notes I've written God just fucking die David Arquette so 
when all of the uh, when everybody finds out that uh, Principal Fonzie is dead, um, they run out. They run out because they found out that he's like hanged in the football thing. So they all want to go see his dead body. Was all these that, drunk okay, I missed the so, fact that they had been told that he was like visible on display because I just thought they were like, "Hey, the principal's dead. That's awesome. Let's go have a different party somewhere else." I was like, "What?" I, I, I guess was, that might have. I was really confused because yeah, Jamie Kennedy definitely says like you know they found the principal dead. He's hanging like I think from like the 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 football stadium. It's thing. probably in there, and I just missed it. I can't yeah. imagine why they would cut that. Um, it just didn't make sense without it, yeah. so I must have just missed it. As they're running out and running to their cars, they're yelling two arms, <laughs> which is just <laughs> the weirdest <laughs> fucking thing for a bunch of seventeen-year-olds to yell. Um. And because and then like the uh, the closed captioning because I watched it with closed captioning the closed captioning came on before somebody actually yelled at him like that can't possibly be right and then yeah no two arms it's like uh. two arms yeah uh, I liked the, the the cute look here comes the obligatory tit shot line watching the, mm-hmm. the horror movie would cross cut immediately to Sid taking yeah. her shirt off although notably. She takes her shirt off, but her bra is still on, and then her bra comes off obscured from the camera. So technically, it's not. But I don't know if that's because they were trying to keep the rating down, or if it's because Nev Campbell didn't want to do a shirtless scene, uh, or if they were actually trying to actively communicate the idea of subverting the idea that there was, in fact, a gratuitous shot there. As far as keeping the rating down, from what I know, like sexual content and violent content, they both have their own... um I thought they both have like their own threshold for the rating, yeah, or or their own threshold to what which point they would raise the rating. And you know, she even mentions like, you know, would you settle for a PG thirteen relationship and then flashes him? Yeah, which was I can you? I don't think you could do that in a PG thirteen movie, can you? Wait, was there an actual flash in the cut you had? No, she it was oh, it was okay. well. It oh, was an I, I flash. Think, the character actually flashed him. There was no. It was it was shot with yeah. her from the back. Yeah, but she okay. clearly like opened up her shirt to flash him. Yeah. Um, and it's well. I think I think you probably could. I think it depends on the mm-hmm. movie, and I think it depends yeah. on the time. Like I think in the eighties, you could probably get away with it pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, in the nineties, probably not so much. So yeah, again, it's like you know the implication of gratuitous nudity without actual gratuitous nudity that is simultaneously uh, sort of defensible and noble in its own way of not being like you know talking up both sides of your mouth about it, but at the same time also feel slightly less faithful to the history of the horror films that they're making fun of with those references. So it's, it's complicated. It's hard to know. After uh, Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich sleep together, like the shot where she's getting dressed, she's getting dressed, you know, like she's sitting on the bed. She's got mostly all of her clothes back on. He is like laying in the doorway with his shirt off covered in sweat. <laughs> Did they? What, what happened there? He, he followed it up with a, some some sets of push-ups. Yeah. He wanted to you know, keep the aerobic thing going on. So, I mean, he always. I mean, although to be fair, throughout the whole movie, he always came off as incredibly sweaty. Did you Did you get that that feel of him that he was? Just, I guess so. He he, he seems yeah. like you know greasy in a uh, literal sense uh, through much of the film. That hair. I mean, I don't know what the hell was going on with that hair. Was that? I'm like I said, I had that hair, but I cannot remember that being something I would intentionally want. It was just a a, a result of, of something. But it, that that was clearly like you know like carefully done with like he's like all right, better get this part to hang right in front of my eye on this end, and okay, yep. done. Well, and I I think sort of like the like you say the Jordan Catalano thing, it had that same yeah. sort of feel of like you know, the sort of grunge dreamboat sort of yeah. thing they're going for. 
Uh, I want to. I, I want to ask a question. Who bothered to move Kenny the camera guy's body up on top of the van, and why? Because like that's not. You're not hiding the body. You're not displaying the body. Like literally, the only thing I can think of is if you're planning to have him be thrown onto the windshield by someone think, stopping the van. In I panic. think that's exactly how because they, you know, they left the keys in there for the. Or did she have the keys on, or did, did he leave the keys in there? I don't remember. I don't remember. Because he he definitely thought to take the keys out of the police car when Nev Campbell got in. Um, but you know, you I think. It's a foregone conclusion that at some point the van would stop. It still, you would have it still to hit seems, the brakes just, on it seems it. like a little bit of a stretch. Maybe I'm not giving yeah. his psychopath character enough credit for creatively thinking on his feet. But, I mean, one of the things you notice is we mm-hmm. have it established that Kenny's kind of a, a, a lazy schlub. He's kind of a big yeah. guy, too. Right. So taking the time to mm-hmm. hoist but him up on top of the van... But it's also established that, at the very least, Matthew Lillard's character is very strong. Because he says, I'm very strong, while he's, like, effortlessly lifting Tatum onto his shoulders. Right. Still, I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of this completely minor, unimportant aspect of that. (laughs) I, I I think it's probably one of those, like, we... You know, like in a horror movie, like a dead body has to be found somewhere weird. You know, that's it's it's you know, there's even a shot of a dead body being found somebody weird in Halloween when they're watching it, when he's like behind you, behind you, then the corpse falls down. So I think it was one of those things where just like, all right, we got to leave a corpse somewhere weird. And I guess the garage door opener wasn't weird enough or the garage door rather wasn't weird enough. So, Um, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the small pleasures of the movie watching uh, Jamie Kennedy get punched in the face repeatedly with a '90s cell phone brick. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Ow, you hit me with the Courtney phone, Dick. Yeah. Apparently, um, uh, Skeet Ulrich actually hit Matthew Lillard like pretty hard with the phone, and that reaction was real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was really happy when Dewey had a knife plunged in his back. Yeah. Uh, and it was, happier that still was, was then like, pulled out because yeah. like well don't, yeah. just don't pull out but no yeah. now he'll clearly bleed death and yeah. that'll be okay but nope how was their plan supposed to work in the wake of the fact that DNA evidence and fingerprinting exists were they expecting all the blood to wash the fingerprints off the knife because how would they explain that you know the only fingerprints on the knife are theirs I don't know I presumably they would uh, clean and and manually reprint the knife or something afterwards. Stick it in Dad's corpsey hand and. In that case, they stabbed each other way too much or too early, at least. I, I think they did like you know plan uh, yeah. like step six of the plan before step five. Yeah, it does feel like they may have jumped the gun a little bit on some of that, but at the same time, if they actually managed to pull it off and get everybody else dead and them not quite dead, and they're here and telling the perfect tale, I think. Oh yeah, but there's blood that. I, I, it might be difficult to create a significant uh, forensic proof that something is sketchy there if everybody else's blood is all over the place too. So I don't know. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think I, I think in a in a world where they actually pull it off, I don't know whether or not they actually would have ultimately pulled it off. But uh, I, I I mean, I do just enjoy. Uh, just without any sort of, you know, uh, subtext to it, just the scene of these two idiots stabbing each other. 
uh, will, you know, willingly and the other one staying still because it, you know, it's, it's a good contrast. Cause like, you know, the rest of the stabbing, this movie was like horror movie stabbing yeah. Either It's like really severe or it's like Dewey where he's still kind of walking around after. Yeah. Um, and then he drops and then, you know, either way it's like horror movie, like, you know, stylized stabbing. And then this, it, it's pretty realistic. Like, I'm pretty sure that it's exactly what it would look like if you stabbed somebody just, you know, like, oh, it's like, ah, fuck shit. That hurts. Yeah, I, I will Jesus. Say that, that's one thing I think, I think, I think that, worked well and, and holds up really well in the film mm-hmm. is the change in tone. And you sort of mentioned yeah. this earlier too, but, but the change in tone after the reveal, uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden these two guys are behaving much more as, you know, crazy people in the light of day than as, you know, mysterious who, who done it sort of killer type stuff. Yeah. And yeah, the stabbing is great. Lillard does a really great job of seeing, seeming seriously sort of losing his mm-hmm. shit about, this process, even even if he's still sort of nominally on board and still sort of like part of this crazy plan, he seems you know he really gives a convincing sense of being scared and hurting and and upset with the whole thing that I thought did make a big tonal shift in the movie that that worked really well and gave that last sequence uh, more gravitas than it might otherwise be able to get in a movie that's constantly being self aware about its own horror yeah. tropes. So I thought that was good. I thought yeah. that that was that was. Uh, it was creepy. Yeah. It, it, it was unsettling, which was nice. Um, another thing I really liked about that scene is uh, when he, you know, she's just like, why did you kill my mom? And he's just like, you want a motive? You know, there's no motive. You know, she wants a motive. And then he gives her a motive that, you know, like her mom slept with his dad. So that's why his mom left and screwed him up. But the it's not convincing at all, and I don't think it's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, it, and it, it even feels... like even Matthew Lillard's like what he like gives him the side eye, and I it reminded me a lot of what they eventually you know did in uh, the Dark Knight when the Joker keeps giving him all these yeah, different exactly. origin stories yeah, for himself. Time. Where it's just like you know if if you think about it, like you know the fact that there is no motive and they're just like fucking psychotic makes a lot more sense than like some chain of events in their childhood that eventually made them this way. Exactly. And, and if, if the whole process is inspired partly mm-hmm. by them being horror movie dorks who are familiar yeah. with genre tropes and whatnot, mm-hmm. then the fact that they, that he would be able to, you know, instantly come up with some sort of compelling stock motive. Sure. Why not? You know, uh, mm-hmm. it sort of works with the idea of his character as this nutty guy living out this odd mm-hmm. narrative. Yeah, Matthew Lillard too is just like you know when his motive is peer pressure, and yeah, I mean, why not? That makes it makes sense yeah. about as much sense as anything else does. Honestly, just like hey, let's go kill people. I don't know. Come on, all right. You know that's I, I've I've done well. I mean, I haven't done anything like kill a person, but I've done stupid shit as a teenager. Somebody's like, hey, let's go do this thing. Yeah, it's okay. like all right, yeah. why not? Uh, um, I liked stabbing Skeet with the umbrella. I thought that was yeah. nice. You know, inventive. One of those stabs was real, and apparently it hits some sort of a thing that Skeet Ulrich has in him because of surgery, which causes him intense pain if it's hit. Um, Because, yeah, and it it bypassed whatever safety padding they had on there. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but uh, but, hey, it's kind of funny. 
I, I, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. This feels like something that just seemed like it would be cute on camera more than making sense in the story, which in this film, it's always it's kind of a problem anytime something like that happens in a film like this because you can sort of get away with it more in an actual stupid horror movie, but a movie that's being smart about stupid horror movies, it's kind of conspicuous when you do something like have one of the characters in Fear for Her Life dress up in a costume in a closet. I'll dress up <laughs> as the ghost face murderer. And then attack you with an umbrella instead of just attack him with an umbrella. You don't need to be wearing a goddamn mask. Cut down your visibility. Cut down your movement just so you can jump out of a closet like that. Just you, – you're already in the closet. You already have the umbrella. Just stab him. Just stab I would, the motherfucker. I would agree with you if they hadn't also had the scene setting her up to be like the person who murders him and starts off with like the phone thing. Because she calls him up before yeah. that and uses the voice changer and you know i, I think yeah but she, know, doesn't, that, she doesn't stick with it though like like i, I hear what you're saying like yeah mm-hmm. it sort of sets up it's a nice inversion where yeah. all of a sudden the hunter becomes the hunted yeah. and she's throwing it back in their face but yeah. the thing that struck me is she stopped using the voice recorder really quickly and she's still really clearly upset like she's right. not she's not doing a good job of selling and now i will coldly and calculatedly give you a taste of your own medicine mm-hmm. it's more like uh, the table fucking turned, and I'm, oh, you son of a bitch! You know she sounds really upset. She's not being like plotting about this process. So the idea that she would then bother to get up in the costume doesn't really scan for me. It seems more like something that she would opportunistically have grabbed the voice modulator, used it for five seconds in that phone call just to be a dick, and then just proceeded with the matter-of-fact process of finding a way to not kill and instead be killed, or vice versa. Maybe she was just hiding in that closet being like, all right, there's only a certain amount of time that I've got until he opens this door, but it's not going to be immediately because there's all sorts of places in this house I could hide. And she was just like, well, I got the time. And like, you know, she hears him go upstairs or something. It's like, I got the time now. And she just gets into the costume. Yeah. Because she has a lot of time to spend in that closet before, you know, he opens the that specific door. It was like the um, that scene in 30 Rock that I've never actually seen. I've only seen it on Tumblr in pictures where... Uh, what's his name? Alec Baldwin's character is like standing, like facing a painting in a museum, and Liz Lemon comes up behind him, and he's just like, "I, he's, I was waiting for you to show up, Lemon." And she's just like, "Wait, how did you do that without without turning around?" Then he turns out and he's just like, "Actually, the last four people I said that to weren't you." <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it reminded me of uh, what was it? Like the turning around thing. Um, Twenty eight days later. Where, you know, in the, in, the, in the third act, he basically becomes a zombie without being infected to kill the yeah. humans that become the villains. Yeah, he just goes, he goes medieval. Yeah, and then the camera also shoots him, like it shoots the zombies. Yeah. So, you know, I could, this, I think... Yeah, we just didn't get any of that at all. Yeah. Like, like I, I, was, I was actually a little bit let down when I realized mm-hmm. that the film wasn't doing that just because I thought it would have been yeah. interesting to see it go with it. But yeah. but yeah, it really doesn't. It doesn't follow through yeah. on that, and so her wearing the costume feels a little yeah. bit silly to me because that would mm-hmm. fit much better if it had yeah. really followed through. Whereas it, I feel like much. if they did follow through, it would change the pacing considerably because it would dial the pacing back to a different, like you know, it would dial it back into stalking mode instead of violence mode. Yeah. And I don't think you know there's a way to like step back like that without sort of messing up. Just yeah, the, the I, I agree. It would, it, it would need to be have been rewritten to, yeah. if they wanted to go for that. Yeah. So I think it's reasonable that they didn't. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I just, I'm I just think, hung up yeah. on the costume. I'm yeah. just hung up on the idea I, that she would stop and put that on. Cause it just seems like shitty tactics. Yeah. You know what? I feel like this movie is like, and this is going to be a weird sentence, but citizen Kane, <laughs> 
<laughs> where it sets it's it, it's just like a microcosm of Citizen Kane where Citizen Kane like you know set up all of these like you know themes and ideas and ways to just make a movie that have then been repeated like ad infinitum to the point where if you sit down and watch Citizen Kane without knowing something about it you're just going to be like all right well that was a very well shot movie having no idea that like no like Orson Welles was like the first person to do this and the yeah. first person to do this and it's you know it only seems like you know unexceptional it's because you've seen it so many times but he was the guy that came up with it and you know so I, I feel like this movie has some of that but not necessarily in the same way where it was so good that now it's unexceptional where it wasn't good enough to not be conspicuous now yeah because they've done it so much better that now the stuff that you know wasn't really on target becomes more conspicuous as the movie ages and as we've grown more comfortable with seeing somebody do some of the things this movie does better. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Also, it's the greatest film ever made. So yeah, yeah. tied, tied with Citizen Kane. So those, those two points of comparison, I think think Citizen Kane, who's ever, I, I don't remember whose list that was. I remember it came out around like 2001 or 2000, like the 100 greatest movies where like Citizen Kane was the number one and that's what they've been basing it on. I think they came out with a new one of those who, from whoever does that, you know, list. And I don't know how that list became the canonical list, but, or like, you know, the, whatever, a list. Um, but it, it's, it's, uh, Vertigo. Vertigo is at number one now. Ah, which is pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty yeah. Good flick. Yeah. I saw it in the theater <laughs> back in 1960 or <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot older than you thought I was. I just, I, I don't age. I've got this painting that does it for me. It's of dogs playing poker. <laughs> I just made a dumb joke about that sort of thing on Twitter. It was something like the, uh, Oh, I, uh, basically a joke on. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what the pieces of the joke are because I can't remember how I phrased it exactly. But basically, the uh, family uh, minivan rear window uh, decal, family de- stick figure decal of Dorian Gray, something like that. <laughs> which I'd like to see someone turn into a, a full fledged story. But uh, the film, okay. So the, the, another uh, Skeet starts freaking out in this whole thing that we're talking about where yep. Sid's turning the tables and he's like looking for Sydney and, and ranting and he like stabs a bunch of couch cushions. Yeah. While seeming this. to be like, he's looking for mm. her. Maybe Why she would she be that. in the couch cushions? That just makes, it makes no sense. It's like the dumbest thing. I, I think it could just be in yeah. rage. Yeah, I think it's just supposed to, like, demonstrate his bloodlust that, you know, he needs to stab something, and if it's going to be a pillow, it's going to be a pillow. And then he spends, like, the rest of the movie with his hand just coated in down feathers because they got <laughs> stuck to him because of the corn syrup yeah. or, you know, the blood. Because I don't think they get stuck to blood like that, would they? I don't know. I mean, it depends. Blood can be sort of tacky. Not as much as corn syrup, I don't think. Yeah. But, uh, but Oh, no, he's, but he, no, wait, he is covered also in corn syrup. He's oh, covered right, in both blood and yeah, corn syrup, so right, yeah. The, the mix of the two. Uh, also, he takes that nice header down the stairs uh, mm-hmm. that I guess sort of like... It's- he, if you, so this time I watched it real carefully. His arm moves to block his head smacking on the banister right before it smacks on the banister, and that's the only head trauma that happens. The, the rest of the time he's got his head tucked, yeah. and it's not hitting steps. So it works well with the whole, you know... Yeah strong and stunty thing that he and yeah. Lillard have going on throughout the narrative by implication. Uh, so it was, it, it was a nice, I mean, I, at this point I was like, yeah, but he fucking did it. 
Whereas in the first time I watched it, I may have still been like, wait, but did he do it or did he not? I, you know, because that was earlier on. That was before the reveal, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I just remember it being a, a good fall. Yeah, I really like the fact that all of the, the, the foreshadowing for him being the murderer is in retrospect so obvious that you think it's too obvious. Yeah. Like you try to outsmart the movie and you don't. Yep. Um, which I thought was, was clever. Uh, uh, they've got the whole multiple plays on the uh, shocking last minute terrible thing in the horror film thing. I like that. Uh, uh, there's that moment of calm where, where Jamie Kennedy's still alive and has the cute line about, I've never been so glad to be a virgin. And yeah. and then Skeet's still alive and he chokes and nearly stabs Sid, but then mm-hmm. Courtney Cox manages to get the, the safety off on the gun and is not dead, apparently, and and shoots him. And then Jamie calls out the one last scare trope and Skeet mm-hmm. makes good on it and then Sid shoots him in, in the fucking head. Yeah, I like, wonder if he was just waiting for Jamie Kennedy's character to make reference to it. He's like, I'm going to die, like, but I want to get the... Or, yeah, I mean, like, I wonder if he was just resigned to death until he heard that, and he was just like, I have one ounce of energy left. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fucking do it. From hell's heart. It's like, what do I have to the... lose? I'm, you know, I'll be dead in, you know, 30 seconds either way. Because I don't think he could have done anything. He literally just, like, picks up his head and one hand and goes, blah! Yep. <laughs> In in summary, David Arquette lives. Fuck this movie. That apparently um, was was a scene that wasn't going to be included until you know they had it. They were pretty sure there was going to be a sequel because mm. he wanted to bring him back for the sequel. But that was like an extra scene. He was not supposed to survive the movie Damn originally. It. Damn it. And yet he becomes the one character throughout the whole... Well, him and Nev Campbell, and I think Courtney Cox is in the third one. Um, yeah, that's a lot of it. That's a, that's a good amount of carryover in a franchise, too. Yeah. And that's the movie. And roll yeah. credits. And, uh... See, you know, I, I feel like... I feel like... I, again, I feel like I said up front, I feel like it probably sounded, like, really negative. Yeah. Uh, but it's really all these little details and biases on my part. It, it, it's a good film. It really, it, it's still, uh, you know, sort of smart and self-aware in a way that, if not perfect, at least at the time, especially was really sort of clever. I mean, you look at, you know, it, it, there, there's probably something to be said about you know the standard that you know a film is successful when there's bad parodies of it. Yeah, you know, uh, and Blair Witch certainly fulfilled that. You know. And uh, this certainly fulfilled that. I mean, the whole scary movie franchise basically yeah. exists because of this franchise. This movie was actually going to be called Scary Movie, and then they changed their mind. Ah. And then Scary Movie got called Scary Movie. Also, I used to live near well, a... Used the word, um, I, I just want to say, they, they, they used the phrase Scary Movie several times in this film at times yeah. when they could have said a horror movie instead. And every time I was like, why are you plugging that terrible... Oh, no, it didn't exist yet, right now. <laughs> It's a titular line that stopped being a titular line when they renamed the movie. Um, I I lived... uh, And they were just gratuitous uh, titular line shots. (laughs) I I, I lived near a pornographic theater that was like really just in the wrong neighborhood to have a porno theater and really on the DL like you know it was clearly a theater they still had the marquee nothing was ever on the marquee there was never anybody at the box office there was two movie posters and those movie posters were for scary movie 2 and Freddy got fingered (laughs) and 
it was and it was clearly open like there were times where you know the lights were on the doors were open like occasionally old men would walk in and out of it and it was you know it was just like the neighborhood porn theater um which was weird vice did a uh did like a short article on it and they described the neighborhood in all these like weird terms that make it seem like it's much shittier than it is and it's not which makes the porno theater stand out like even more it's like not just one of these things that's you know on your checklist of you know shady neighborhoods yeah uh it's you know it's it's uh, how did we get on this uh you just like talking about porn i do i do this is the second time i brought it up (laughs) um I wonder what this movie would be like if you just recast it with the people that they should have gotten. Like, actually, Jared Leto instead of Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, Jared Leto and Johnny um, Depp. Uh, instead of Nev Campbell, just... I mean, who would you... Yeah, I don't know. Just have yeah. Drew Barrymore in that role and have <laughs> Nev Campbell be the one that dies at the beginning. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know immediately how I would uh, recast yeah. the rest of this. I mean, I, part of it is a question of do do we get any rewrites to go with the recasting? Because I'm not sure who you cast as Dewey if he's still Dewey as represented by the the final production. Uh, is Dewey Adam Sandler? Oh Jesus, is that really improving things? It depends. Did like as much as I'm giving David Arquette yeah. shit here, he at yeah. least credibly put across the sort of charming yeah. loser doofus. Whereas There's, I feel like oh, Adam Sandler would be like yeah. someone you just. Yeah. Want to punch in the face for not being as doofusy as they're being? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. Brendan this. Fraser. Fraser. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's Fraser or Fraser. I think it might be Fraser. Yeah, no, I, I could buy him as like an actually more likable Dewey. And instead of using, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, Jamie Kennedy, who is you know dirtbag Seth Green, you actually get Seth Green. <laughs> I would have much preferred Seth Green. Yeah. Um, I don't know who you do, Courtney Cox. I, Maybe I actually get Margot Kidder, but I, I think yeah. she's out of out of movies by then. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, that would be something. Now, obviously, they'd have to rework some stuff, but uh, yeah, that was the, that's another thing about Cabin in the Woods. They actually got her. Where was this she? Movie in did not Cabin in the Woods. Oh wait, no fuck. Was that Sigourney Weaver? Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Shit. I was like, I missed some interesting little details in completely. Apparently. Yeah. Um. No, but I like, they, they got but, Jamie to come back for that remake of Halloween, didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was. Was Which it a remake? Seen. No, wait. Or was it reboot? the remake? I don't think or, so. Or, I think or, it was or, a very late sequel. I think oh, it was yeah, like yeah. a. Because uh, you're talking about Halloween H two O, right? Yeah, I think that was yeah, it was like 25 years later or something. Yeah, 20 years okay. later, it came out two years after this did, and I guarantee you Scream being popular is what got that movie made. Yeah. Um, and who the hell was in it? And yeah, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis was in it, Adam Arkin. I don't know who that is. I don't know who... Oh, Josh Hartnett? Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Huh. All like bottom build, because this yeah. is... Yeah, I, uh, it's it's weird when you run into actors that are very popular now, like in uh, bit parts. Like I, I've been watching like assorted stuff from the '90s, and Patton Oswalt just keeps popping up everywhere. Um, yeah, there was a. So yeah, I'm trying to think of um. Nope. 
<laughs> well, we'll come you back got to anything this. else to say about this movie? Uh, the, the, the font in the credits is terrible. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's like the edgy horror version of Comic Sans. You know, it's just it, it, it's simultaneously At least it's trying not that font to, from Diablo. Well, sure, sure, I'll give you that. Uh, they could have done. They they literally could have done worse. But still, it, it it's it's a font that's simultaneously trying to be sort of like you know scary, but also completely failing to actually have any kind of yeah. Uh, I don't know, sort of eldritch or austere feel to it. Uh, the plus side, no opening credits. True, which was nice. It, it, it was a good way to go with the film. They backloaded everything. On the downside, they do the vignettes of the, the major cast members in alphabetical order. So the first thing I have to see after the movie is fucking David Arquette again. Um, also, Wait, do they actually? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got like, like, like David Arquette smiling as Dewey with his name. And then the next is you know Courtney Cox or whoever else was alphabetically next. They did that for huh. like uh, 10 characters or something. Wow. Uh, totally did not notice that. Yep. Uh, I was just uh, David Arquette's face filling up the screen. Um, Ryan Kennedy played uh, expelled teen number two. As far as I can tell, not related to Jamie Kennedy. Just hmm. a coincidence. Can a principal just expel people on the spot like that? Probably, like not. as Probably a not. as a rash decision I, in the heat of the moment while you know threatening a person with a pair of scissors. It seems it seems really unlikely. I'm not I'm yeah. not sure if we were supposed to take the expulsion seriously either. I think it may have been more like this is our kooky principal and, you know, shit. You know, we're obviously in actual trouble with him. When um, Nev Campbell is going to talk to the police in his office and he's just like, they're just going to ask you a few questions. He just sort of like, you know, takes her by the chin. Did you notice that? Where he just like touches her on the face for no reason. I, I did not notice that. I found it. I mean, I, you know, I can see it being like. I I can see it being like a uh, what do you call it like you know a supportive like you know calming gesture, but it was not because she's you know she she doesn't look particularly pleased with being grasped around the grasped around the chin like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, "Red Right Hand" is a great song. Yeah, but none of these kids came off as, uh, you know, <laughs> big fans of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah, I have to yeah. say. Uh, good use of the song, though. Oh, there was some Republica in there. Yeah, remember Republica. They were one of my favorite bands um, around that time. Yeah, I noticed. It's like, yeah, and again, yeah, the the, the timing. Uh, but then also schools yeah. out uh, in that one transition. And scene, don't fear the Reaper. Yes, yeah. somebody, uh, something's up with the music choices in this film. I feel like maybe Wes Craven picked half of them, and they hired somebody for the other half. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, I'm pretty sure there's a set of encyclopedias on the shelf behind Drew Barrymore in the opening scene, which is also kind of 1996. I mean, not not that nobody still has those, but... I don't think anybody's bought them recently. Yeah, it's, it, I think it, it, if they have them, they've had them since at yeah, least then. Exactly. So, one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. Just reminds me of the uh, in, in the birdcage when they have to like fill the apartment. Well, fill it. Well, they're you know like straightening their house, so they have and they have to fill it with respectable books, and they end up filling it with Nancy Drew novels. A <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, really, really um, lamp shady, but maybe not totally obvious was uh, Skeet Ulrich gets murdered right. After the line, what do I have to do to prove to you I'm not the killer? And then he does it. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. It's like, how, you know, what better way to prove you're not the killer than to get repeatedly stabbed by the killer? Which was, hey, you know, I've, 
that I mean that had to have been uh that had to have been uh rehearsed. Yep. I mean, I wonder if that was like the line that uh, you know Matthew Lillard was waiting for. He's just like, all right, he's got to say this thing. Yeah, and then then do it. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I kind of, if I can imagine some other film tied to this film, what I would like to see is the film from the perspective of those two guys as sort of like a mockumentary mm-hmm. of of them doing all this. Like, I want to see, I want to see the whole film shot as a story of of their bromance of their, you know, getting into this whole, you know, murder game, uh, and, and really be able to watch it from the other side. Cause I think that, that, that could actually, if written smart, if done well, could actually, uh, you know, make for a really compelling, uh, compliment if, if somewhat totally different. Like I think, I, I think it would not work as sort of like the, uh, satirical horror film as easily. I think it'd be a lot more compelling if it was actually more sort of portrait of weird fucked upness. But uh, but that'd be interesting, and you know they've made out. Oh yeah, yeah they've totally like maybe nothing further, but you know they've made out. Yeah, they had to at least uh, cross that line at some point, just so they could. Um, that's actually what I liked about the end as well. Them all the making out. No, um, when uh, <laughs> the fact that at some point it does start following them instead of following uh, Nev Campbell, and like how that really works into the whole you know reversing you know, turning the tables on them because, you know, she vanishes without like a sound like they do. And then the movie is from their perspective and now they're panicking. And I like that. Like, you know, it, it didn't happen for very long, but there was a yeah. distinct period of time in this movie where you're, you, you are now following them instead of, you know, the last girl. Yeah. So it turns out that I would actually be interested in seeing more of that. It turns as, as, as I contemplate it. Well, that's probably all I have for, uh, for, screen. yeah, I think we've, uh, I think we've, done this movie through it's, it's been scrimped um so did you want to do scream too not really maybe okay yeah not, not particularly i mean not, i'm not to say never i just don't particularly feel moved to jump on it next episode yeah I'm, I'm trying to recall it and i don't recall it being that spectacular save for you know the all of the you know we're shooting a movie about this thing that happened in a movie that you watch just like, you know, really rickety scaffolding of meta commentary. Yeah. Um, yep. No, I was so, thinking hey, of, uh, uh, there's a film called the conjurer. The conjurer I've heard. Uh, let me make sure I've got the name right. Maybe it's the conjuring. I think it might be the conjurer. There's conjurer from 2008. There's the conjurer from 2011. Wait, that's about a, I think we got the conjuring 2013. Conjure. Okay, so not the Holocaust movie. Yeah, no the conjuring. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's start watching some uh, bleak examinations of man's inhumanity. In oh, okay. This is the the movie that you know the, the the horror movie made of the events that inspired the events that inspired Amityville Horror. Yeah, yeah. Or as someone on IRC described it to me, Amityville Horror. If it wasn't a crappy movie. Um. So yeah, I, uh, I, I think I really think the old Amityville Horror would have been just like so much improved if it was directed by Robert Altman. Is that his name? Did I just mess is, up his name? That is Robert Altman's name. <laughs> okay, I was just like, is it Roger? For some reason, I'm like, is it Roger Altman? <laughs> that sounds Roger that Corman. Sound yeah, right. no, it would have been better as a Roger Corman film. I agree. Um, no, no, I meant Altman. <laughs> <laughs> as a Corman movie, it would also have been better. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. So yeah, how about that? Yep. Um, yeah, sure. I will track down a copy, and yeah, next fortnight, and 
Um, yeah, hopefully we are too. back to being on a regular schedule. Like my <laughs> life craziness has died down like a little bit. So yeah, yeah well, fingers we'll crossed. We'll see what we can do. Hopefully in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully we'll put it out at the end of the month here. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, uh, good, good screaming with you. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure to check us out on Facebook and Tumblr and uh, things. Go on the internet. Yes. Everything you can find. Just, just interface with us. Just engage. Just, yeah. just show us you're out there. Figure out, out as many terms as you can that'll Google our thing successfully, and then click on it after Googling it a lot. What do we have to do to convince you that we're not the killers? 